I got it all on video. <laughs> That's it. This is it. I'm done. Through. It's over. I'm gone. Finished. Over. I will never work for you again. Look at you. <laughs> you think you're an important man? Is that what you think? You are a laughing stock. You are a joke. These people are laughing at you. You're nothing. You have no brains, no ability, nothing. I quit. <laughs> I like sports, I could do something in sports. Uh-huh, uh-huh. In what capacity? Let me tell you something! Let me tell you something. 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 Well, let me tell you something! Greetings, Grapple fans, and welcome to the final episode of 2023 and as always is the case when it comes to let me tell you something our final episode that we record is also our final episode that reflects upon the year that we've just had it's 2023 in review i'm your co-host Lorcan mullen and with me as always is the big bill to my ricky starks the julius creed to my brutus creed the yevgeny Prokosian to my vladimir putin mr simon cross simon how you doing today, mate? You took a turn at the end there. Yeah, I'm alright, I'm alright, I'm good. <laughs> like a, a redirected flight, perhaps. <laughs> to go very early with the peek behind the curtain, listeners, me and Lorcan, obviously, we're like amping ourselves up. This is sort of like the Rose Bowl. This is what we play for levels for our episodes. And I, I feel a sense of like, not foreboding, because... For, I, these are one of my favourite episodes to record, to be brutally honest. But a sense of... Woof! <laughs> That year, it's just disappeared into nothingness. I don't really remember like a great deal. Of it. Well, yeah, twenty twenty three is a hard one to gauge. I think so far, I don't think as many events happen. It almost feels like a precursor to what's about to happen. I don't know if that's something that happens with a lot of odd numbered years. Mm. But I mean, twenty twenty two, we literally went through two monarchs and three prime ministers in like a three month period in our country. Oh yeah. So this year, managing to just about keep one of both of them. At time of recording. <laughs> yeah, at time of recording. Makes this seem quite dull in comparison. And funnily enough, the biggest news story of the year for wrestling, and what should really be the biggest news story in wrestling for years, for like the past 40 years, is, but it, it almost, like, uh, the opposite end of it, that it would have been pre-rehearsed the year before. Yeah. We'll get into that in a bit but first of all we have to talk about a couple of things one is that we are recording this on christmas eve eve the 23rd of december so we're calling it a year in review when there's a full week still to go and a full week of events still to happen yeah we don't know at time of recording who's going through to the final of the continental classic we don't know what the final of the continental classic is we don't know necessarily who the champions are because there are a few big title defenses still to come in at least 
one promotion, <laughs> which might have led to a certain someone getting a bit too cocky a few moments before we were recording. Ow. When they were about to talk about our predictions that we made at the end of 2022 for what was going to happen this year. My, my sense has gone from complete and utter, like, cock of the walk to impending dread that super hands bit what we need is to create a powerful sense of dread that's where i'm at your cock of nothing <laughs> you get nothing you lose <laughs> at the end of 2022 what did the two of us think were plausible events to happen in 2023 and what actually did happen in 2023 okay so because i hate self-reflection i'm going to put it off to second so i'm gonna go for lorcan's first lorcan's first prediction was uh, a certain william osprey to win the g1 we'll get into that later on yeah next you had okada taking on kenny omega in the year 2023 they did team together that yeah they did they did you then had jade cargill to lose on pay-per-view to one jamie hater now that one's not your fault <laughs> But J. Cargill did lose on a pay-per-view, so I was like two-thirds of the way there. (laughs) And it was to a homegrown talent as well. Yes, yes it was. So you could argue three-quarters of the way there. But expecting AEW to do right by their women's division is always, uh, we now know, a recipe for failure. Look, if the ACL hadn't, if Jamie Hayter's injury hadn't have happened, you might well have got it. And lastly, you had Triple H to release more than one person that had been there for 10 plus years. We got Dolph Ziggler, and that was the one that I thought. I thought, I should have been specific. I should have said, I think Dolph Ziggler will be released in 2023. And I thought, because at that time Triple H was in charge, I thought there was a chance that The Miz could also get released. Because I've always had the sense that Triple H does not rate The Miz in the same way that Vince McMahon rates The Miz. But recent events, recent storylines, recent matches suggest that either he does have faith in The Miz or The Miz has performed to a standard that he's accepted. I just always remember that like Miz never catches anyone that dives to the outside. And I remember a story that Triple H just completely bollocked him backstage afterwards. So I guess I'd always have that in the back of my mind that he was one of those guys like Kevin Dunn that you had that feeling when Triple H is in charge. There's going to be a few changes around here. <laughs> Yeah, I have given you that one. I'll be honest, I can't definitively remember if there's someone else that's been there over 10 years. I think Dana Brooke, maybe? (laughs) Yeah, she genuinely might have been. (laughs) When you think about it, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, if you count developmental and stuff. So, look, I'll give you that one, and I might live to regret it. And I'll tell the listeners for why. Because my predictions was CM Punk to wrestle in 2023, which he did. What a daring risk that was for you see this is the problem with you it's like oh i predict on in 2024 that the sun will come up and it will rise on a daily basis need i remind you where we were at at the end of 2022 it wasn't a guarantee (laughs) yeah that the sun would rise and go down yeah Yeah. i suppose oh you mean cm punk (laughs) (laughs) iron survivor matches to take place on the main roster Literally explained to you why that was a dumb one to go for, and you still didn't listen and kept it in, and now who looks quite the fool? Well, what can you do? What can you do? Not make silly predictions like that. Now, long-time listeners of the show will just know that's not in my DNA, I'm afraid. It's not. <laughs> Tommaso Champa, Money in the Bank. <sighs> 
My half slash quarter point, if we're doing this, Lorcan, is WWE to hold a PLE in mainland Europe. They announced it. Yeah, that doesn't count. That doesn't count in the slightest. You never said announced. You said hold. Ah, see, the man's afraid. And my last prediction, <sighs> correct at the time of recording, which I had, I, I'd completely forgotten about the existence of World's End when I was bragging to Lorcan pre-show. So I'm gonna. That's look- a shame. I would argue it's the best of the Cornetto trilogy. Actually, <laughs> ooh, hot fuzz. Yeah, everyone says that, but wait till you get older and rewatch the World's End, and then suddenly. Everything hits home. <laughs> yeah. Right. My last prediction was for MJF to hold the title for the whole year. Dumb in that sense, because you knew unless, we weren't going to record on December 31st. So we couldn't even hold that one to a They standard. hadn't announced the pay per view for World's End. I thought after November I'd be safe. Mm, yeah, but there would have been at least one more dynamite or collision. Which I don't think was... That didn't exist at this point last year, did it? No, that was created for CM Punk, if you remember. Well, shall we go into CM Punk now, or shall we hold off on it? I think we have to lance that boil early doors. Doesn't it say a lot that in the two years that this has been going on for, to now consider talking about CM Punk as lancing a boil suggests how far we've come? Mate, I'm bored. And it sounds horrible as a podcast host to say this about the topic we're about to discuss, but I am bored of the discourse around this man. At time recording, all we've had are a couple of promos, a couple of sly insider digs, and a setup to a big match with Seth Rollins at some point in the future. But for the time being, Punk's entered the Royal Rumble, so we don't know one way or the other yet how that's going to play out. Mm. What I will say is that one of my favourite lines that Hangman Page said to... CM Punk that I got at the time not ones that turned out to be some massive insider reference that CM Punk essentially committed career suicide over in AEW it was the start of the end put it that way was obviously Hangman Page said something about being for the boys in the back and then I don't know if it's like a cross stick where if you took the first letter out of every promo he said and it was like you screwed Colt Cabana was what he was actually saying I don't know but the line that got me was when he said when we fight it's not gonna be a masturbatory Bret Hart tribute match (laughs) now as a Bret Hart fan I thought you'd like pick up on that comment well I don't think I'm the first one to say this but I will say in CM Punk's promos in some of his body language and in just the sense of knowing where he's had to go in order to go here this Brett tribute might be going all the way to him essentially being in his Brett in WCW phase (laughs) what the AEW bit was Brett in WCW no 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 the WWE stuff is going to be Brett in WCW yeah where he's just really there for a paycheck doesn't like not being the central focus of attention but also can't do anything about it and just kind of putting that across in his promos i don't know if he's gonna tell us to not doubt el dandy in the future yeah so i want to interject and just add a fact to to strengthen what we're talking about so far so obviously you mentioned that cm punk's going most likely to have a match with seth rollins a lot of people are talking maybe that's the mania match for that world title I took the liberty just now of going on to Paddy Power, uh, mainly because they're the only bookmaker I know definitively does do these, but other bookmakers are available. So, 2024 Men's Royal Wumble winner. CM Punk is 4-9 to favourite. Yeah. Cody Rhodes 
is the next person in the market at three to one. And that just shows everyone thinks it's nailed on. That's where the money's gone. And here's what I point, because you said there, centre of attention, right? Say he wins the Rumble, he set up the feud with Seth, right? That's for the secondary title. Is he going to be happy with that? Yeah, CM Punk would say, what is the logic in me as a person going after the belt that was just invented a year ago? Unless, and this is a key thing you've got to remember, and it's something you said at some point, at least one point earlier this year, spite is a great motivating tool. So they could have Punk milk it and say, of course I'm going to pick Roman Reigns and just have Seth Rollins constantly taunt him into fighting him instead. Ah. And so just getting into CM Punk's head and forcing him to do it. Yeah. The thing with the whole run that CM Punk is going to have in WWE is it feels like nearly every major event or every statement he says in public when he's doing promotional stuff or whatever... It's like how Donald Trump, like everything he said, I'm not comparing Punk to Donald Trump very, he's not that bad, but (laughs) he's not the equivalent of Donald Trump. But the point was that basically everything Donald Trump said or did whilst he was president, there was like a counter argument to that from Trump's Twitter account from in the past when it was talking about Obama or whoever else at the time. Right. So I feel like almost every major event Punk goes to, every major, so many things will happen. That there will be an equivalent statement, segment on AEW, moments in his interviews, or tweet that someone will be able to... Put it this way, Promo Joe is going to have a lot of fun with um, making these comparisons in his videos. Oh yeah. It'll be things like him telling The Miz to do certain things to a blood money covered appendage. And if he does show up at one of the Saudi shows, then, you know, you've just got that to hold over him. You've got him saying, MJF to go, if you think the grass is so greener on the other side, go and be on day two of a four-day premium live event. (laughs) And the God's honest truth is, unless he's fighting Roman Reigns... He'll be day one. He's main eventing day one. And we were discussing it in uh, Kevin Owens... Sami Zayn, the Usos five-star match. Does that truly count as headlining WrestleMania? Is it like headlining a festival? Or is it the clear and obvious truth that the last show of WrestleMania is still the main event? As great as it was to see Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair on the final match of WrestleMania 37, it was WrestleMania 37 night one. If you want to truly see what the headlining match is for those last WrestleManias, They're all the ones where Roman Reigns was the main event on night two. So there is clearly a difference between headlining night one and headlining night two. It just is what it is. I don't think Roman Reigns is going to be defending his belt on night one. So if we are getting Seth Rollins versus CM Punk, it's not headlining night two. Mm. Unless they're going to do what I think so many people fear they're going to do and have Roman Reigns continue to be champion through WrestleMania 40, because as people have pointed out, someone pointed out online actually that Roman Reigns would surpass Hulk Hogan's record reign just after the big WWE event that's taking place in Berlin. And what if you had that Berlin show headlined by Roman Reigns against still Intercontinental Champion Gunther in a title versus title match? Oh my god, that they'll rerun uh, Hogan Warrior, basically. The Irresistible Force versus the Immovable Object. That would be an amazing event to hold. That's the temptation. The fact is that Triple H clearly likes his long reigns. Oh boy. And he likes his Roman reigns long reigns. 
and that's been a cool feature. It's so crazy when you look at it, like how few title changes there have been. Like Seth Rollins won that new title, and he's the first champ, and he's still the champ. You'd assume he's carrying it through to WrestleMania, at least at this point. Yeah. Maybe beyond that. I don't think it's beyond that. (laughs) I don't know, because it's funny in hindsight. On the night of the event, when John Cena beat Brock Lesnar on Brock Lesnar's big return. Yeah. Everyone was like, that's the worst booking decision ever. You've cut Brock Lesnar off immediately, and he's never going to recover from it. That's not how you tell stories. And the point was made that this was really them testing him to see if he plays ball. Mm. And the fact of the matter is, when Brock Lesnar then had his next match against John Cena after he broken the streak, he was now established at this point as like the big final boss of wrestling. Yeah. Essentially what Roman Reigns has become now. And that whole booking thing didn't make a blind bit of difference. That's the constant thing I've realized through doing this and why I don't like doing. And I'm repeating myself again, I know, but I don't care. <laughs> Why I don't like us doing this is what happened in wrestling this week. This is what happened. This is what will happen next week. Because it makes us overload importance and significance to every event. And it doesn't actually matter that much. Yeah. And I'll bring that more into a later point when we go into the the next promotion that we're talking about. But my point there is that now, because they did that booking decision, when you get something like a CM Punk turning up or a Cody Rhodes turning up, you wonder, well, maybe they won't win their big first match back. And so that adds a level of intrigue. So Punk going into the Royal Rumble, you would have thought, well, he's going to win the Royal Rumble because this is his first match back. But instead, it's like, well, maybe he won't. Maybe Seth Rollins will cost him the Royal Rumble. And that will then force him to take on Seth Rollins because whoever wins it, assuming it is Cody, mm. will want Roman Reigns for WrestleMania 40. Well, will they do the same winner two straight years? I mean, they... That's the other big question, isn't it? Well, I would go, right now, I would put my money on it being CM Punk wins the Rumble, and then Cody Rhodes wins Elimination Chamber. Maybe he has to beat Jimmy Uso and Solo Sokoa in a handicap situation to get through them to get the title shots. Yeah. But I can understand why they would not put it that way, uh, why they would go with Cody Rhodes again. But it's funny, actually, looking back at it, remember that? That was, uh, again... Triple H liking his records. That Royal Rumble, Gunther went for like 70 minutes, wasn't it? Mm. Or something. And we did get that brief tease of Gunther versus Brock Lesnar, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, if Gunther doesn't wrestle Roman Reigns at Berlin, it should be against Brock Lesnar. Yeah, I think that's what they will do. If Brock wants to do it. Yeah. But just, yeah, the final point of CM Punk is that one of the things you said to me is, do you think you'll get released, I think? And this isn't a prediction because it's going beyond it. Do you think you'll play ball? I said, my prediction was it was a three-year deal he signed with them. Uh, yes. My prediction was he won't be wrestling in three years' time for the WWE. But that's not necessarily because he's fallen out with WWE. Mm. He's a ticking clock, is CM Punk. And so are other people of his generation that we're starting to see now. And we need to move beyond them, really. Mm. So it might be that instead he's in the commentary booth for both WWE and IPL or whatever fighting... IPL? What is... PFL. Yeah, PFL. I think I was mixing that up with the Indian uh, Premier League cricket. No, that'd be a turn-up. That would be fascinating. CM Punk commentates on cricket. <laughs> Kolkata Knight Riders batting at number three. Phil Brooks! <laughs> <laughs> I'd love it. I would love it. 
so yeah, like you said, I think you're right though. I'm I think people are ready to not be talking about CM Punk anymore. And because he will be a part of a larger entity where he is not the focal point, you know, as we were saying, Tony Khan literally gave him a TV show to placate him and that didn't do the trick and wwe aren't gonna do that to him Mm. they might give him better catering literally backstage and they probably will provide him with a taxi or whatever it is when he reaches an airport (laughs) there's nothing wrong with the tube he was being a baby it's a weird thing i don't go to a lot of wrestling shows but i've been to a few significant ones on an historical basis i went to the last televised live event of wwf because the two days after that show, Insurrection, they debuted Get the F Out and became WWE. <laughs> it was our idea, honest. <laughs> and I also witnessed the um, last AEW appearance ever of one CM Punk. But we did, yeah. Yeah, we both did, in different places. And what was really interesting was already at that point, I've said this before, like the the reception to him was mixed at best. Yeah. And so we couldn't, it just couldn't continue this way. But it also, I think, leads to the issues with AEW. But we'll get to that. I just want to go more into WWE first. Let's get WWE out. We're going to do promotion by promotion. We're going to try and keep a semblance of structure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's be. I sent you this text, and I don't know if you replied to me on it, <laughs> but I think that you know, nothing's new there. <laughs> it's the th- main thought that I'm, g- I'm going to get an answer from you now. Anyway, <laughs> is 2023 WWE's best year of the 21st century? Um... The obvious other candidate, I guess, would be 2000, which I've always said to me is like the artistic peak that wwe's had where it's been as close to good across the board as it ever was but at least on a cultural business and for their own sense of um value in the marketplace and being controlled for the most part by it would seem at least at this point relatively sensible people (laughs) i don't think i've gone into 2024 with more of a sense of a faith of wwe could have an even better year next year than i've ever had before there's always been times because we put so much of our as as a smarky wrestling fandom as long as i've been around the internet wrestling culture especially post wcw's collapse the need for the wwe to be the center of attention of the and that there's a fan base so clearly at odds with the promotion that they're following and 2023 and 2022 but 2023 even more so seems to have been a year where there is next to no conflict between the WWE and its own fan base. You look at the shows that they've had and you look... At, I don't think there's ever been a point since like that Attitude Era 2000-2001 period where there are more different characters on the show that are over with the crowd and that they have a crowd that's just in a constant state of positivity. Mm-hmm. A lot of the reason for that is because that percentage that were that wave of negativity that would react negatively to what was being put in front of them. A, it's not Vince-controlled stuff that's being put in front of them anymore. Yeah. But B, those people are off shitting over Tony Khan's booking decisions now. (laughs) To the point that one of the big stars they created this year in LA Knight... I don't know if he could have got as over as he did this year without a more compliant fan base who don't care that his matches aren't spectacular, that he, in some cases, is just a Stone Cold Steve Austin Rock cosplayer. And I'll get into why that's not necessarily that bad a thing. 
but it's just mostly focused on a catchphrase. There's never been a catchphrase more over with a crowd since the Daniel Bryan yes chance. So basically what you're saying, just before we touch on LA Knight specifically, is the combination of Vince being truly gone. He, he did his little em- Emperor Palpatine, no one's ever really gone, by being um, apparently backstage a lot and trying to influence decisions. But We'll get more into that. That needs its own part of the discussion. It but but it's the combination of that and the dilution of criticism because now Smarks have their own little home, yeah. basically. Or they watch WWE, but they're not as like, this is the be-all and end-all and everyone that I like needs to be booked well. Yeah, they're not emotionally invested in it. Yeah. So they can be a bit more, okay, I'll just take it for what it is and enjoy it and just look at the positives. Because they don't need to dwell on the negatives. The negatives of AEW, they're dwelling on a lot more. But they're not dwelling on WWE stuff. Because they're, they're either not watching it, or they're taking it for what it is. Which is what they should have always done, and they never could. And I said that was why I never, I've never, i never been, personally, that angry at WWE at times. I'm sure I've made it come across like that at different points, especially in year in reviews pre-AEW <laughs> like I said when John Cena was pushed as their top guy I was like I see why they're doing it it's not marketed at me and what I want from wrestling anymore so I am gonna go elsewhere for my wrestling fix mm. and that's what I did with Ring of Honor and later on with like Japanese stuff or just the wrestling culture in general looking on YouTube for historical footage and whatever going to the WWE Network and looking at the archives not enough people were doing that and now it feels like they're better at that than they were before. And that's what allows them to have these shows. And you look at some of the shows, like, I've rarely seen a crowd as into a show from start to finish since, like, those Hulkamania years. Those Four Horsemen years where you just cheer for the good guys and boo for the bad guys. Since that Puerto Rico show where just everyone's over. Everything's huge. The crowd are going nuts. They were able to really play about with the production value, so they do those cool... You have the drone shots going over. And I think that when you take all that into consideration, the fact is that these crowds are so receptive that you got the crowds like in Puerto Rico, which was so hot for everything that was going on. Not even just Carlito coming out or anything like that. But there's so many guys that are over. Like, this is as over as Finn Balor's ever been as part of uh, Judgment Day. There was a time when, like, every Royal Rumble... I think the Royal Rumble is the best gauge of, like, how well the WWE is doing insofar as how many people, when they make their entrance for the Rumble, gets a positive reaction from the crowd. And by positive, I mean that they're cheering them crazily or they're booing them crazily. Yeah, a loud reaction. It's not just JTG coming out, doing his 30 seconds in the ring, and then just going into the corner to tell he needs to be eliminated from by someone else. You look at, like, the 1990 Royal Rumble or the 1992 Royal Rumble or 91, and everyone pretty much is getting a reaction when they're coming out. But then when you go to the 93, 94, 95 doldrums and people like the Blue Brothers and Well Done and the Heavenly Bodies are making their entrances and it's nowhere near as big a deal. Mm. So I would be very curious to see, coming into the next Royal Rumble, just how many people will come out and the crowd will go batshit for them. And not just even because it's like Edge making a massive return, but just because they are so over with the audience. They know what they are and they know what their reactions are. And so, as we say with LA Knight and Dominic Mysterio and all these other characters that are getting over in a manner that they just never were back in the day. Like, Jay Uso is a main event talent now. <laughs> Literally. So much to the point that they, like, sorted out their copyright issue straight away with the whole yeet thing. 
But it never feels like there's been a, a period of time where more people could realistically headline WWE premium live event, and it wouldn't feel like the crowd's being shortchanged. Obviously, Roman Reigns is still presented as this ultimate special monolith. Yeah. Whether they're going to strike while the iron is hot, because we thought they were going to at WrestleMania 39, and they didn't, and then that caused a whole load of fuss, but we'll get to that. But I think that's also going to be an interesting reflection now with like how increasingly popular NXT has become. We were always saying that we loved it when it was marketed towards us, when it was like a prototypical AEW in many ways. Like this collection of great indie stars and semi-ironic characters and just feeding us like a super indie promotion. Mm. Like an indie promotion with WWE-level production values. And then, obviously, the whole re-packaging and the 2.0 and the fact that so many of those talents, like your Adam Coles and so on, went to AEW. Yeah. And so the NXT did become what it really probably should have always been, which was not trying to make its own waves, but trying to just present a, a training facility for these stars of the future. Yeah. But now we're at like a, a combination of the two, where it is pretty much people without any kind of indie cred, that they are just mostly plucked from college or wherever else. Yeah. And put through the WWE machine. Yeah. But... They are now getting over with the crowd to the point that they can hold those NXT TakeOver events again in arenas and again get big audiences. It's not just the Florida 500 or whatever it is, the people that go to all those shows. They can fill 5,000 seaters and they're going crazy for Carmelo Hayes, Trick Williams, Bron Breaker, uh, Tiffany Stratton. I think the Tiffany Stratton Becky Lynch storyline in that in NXT could be a very significant event going forward. When we look back on who the big stars of WWE are in the next few years. Yeah, and I mean obviously we're at that weird point now with NXT in in the year because the Royal Rumble in the past has been an indicator of who's about to get called up. It's like wave one before the night after WrestleMania. So the guys you mentioned, I mean, Carmelo Hayes at the time of recording is already on SmackDown in the US title tournament, for example. When do these guys come up? Because you know, the, the names you've listed, Tiffany Stratton on the main roster, I think could, could do it. I think she's ready, personally. But then again, you don't want them lost in the shuffle. Do you want them to hone off their skills a little bit more. Yeah, but what I also think that you'll have faith in going forward is the fact that there will be a continuation. That when these NXT stars go on to WWE, it won't be with... There might be a slight repackaging, but it won't be just a complete undoing of whatever hard work NXT had. Yeah! There won't be a point where Raquel Rodriguez is presented as a complete badass on NXT and then she comes onto the main roster and she's having to smile all the time and just be a bland baby face. Yeah, I mean, she's kind of been that, except for her brief run with Rhea Ripley, which was given a main event on the show. But my point is that there'll be a continuation, like the Carmelo Hayes that we've seen on NXT, the Trick Williams that we've seen on NXT, the Bron Breaker, they will not be suddenly put into a weird chainmail demolition cosplay thing like Karrion Cross had to <laughs> oh. inflicted upon him. I'd forgotten about that. Because there's going to be that clear pipeline. The Viking Raiders won't be called the Viking Experience. (laughs) It's one of those things, isn't it, where you don't realise how bad it was until you reflect. 
Because we've now we're now like how long are we into the Triple H era now? Like 18, 18 months. Well, it depends on where you start it from. Because I guess because that is the big thing, isn't it? That this the major event of this year was Vince coming back. But then because I'd said last time that there was no way that he could come back. Vince like Emperor Palpatine coming back. Yes. <laughs> It, well, well, we didn't know that at the end of 2022. It did seem like Vince was gone and gone for good, essentially. And I said the only way that he would be involved is because if he flexed his muscle and forced his way because of the financial stake that he had in the company. Mm. And then when he turned up at WrestleMania, and I did think, like, that was the one I was like, if he was going to make a movie, it would be WrestleMania. Because Vince wouldn't be able to comprehend of wrestlemania without him yeah and at that moment again because like i said i don't like reflecting on just what's happened this week because there were so many people that was like it seemed like wrestlemania 39 night one was gonna be forever remembered as this golden era encapsulated and then we lost it as symbolized by roman reigns beating cody rhodes and obviously that was vince mcmahon coming in pulling a power play taking back over yeah and announcing plans of a merger with TKO. We have to mention, obviously, the um, in terms of obviously the outside storyline, the cherry on the cake was of the guy who threw the rubber chicken into the ring. Because <laughs> it just, it did, it felt like a joke. Like, oh my god, like you've you've built everything up so much. Yes, you gave us the little misdirect with the Sami Zayn storyline, but yeah, okay, he was never going to be at that level. But here's the guy you'd built up to finish the story and WrestleMania for so long has been where stories finish obviously they've changed that these days but but this one this that to quote gary neville this was the banker this is the one that couldn't miss that's never missed but it did everyone was like what you what, what have you done and so everyone was upset and now i think a year from almost a year after out of that it doesn't really feel like as big a deal i guess the key is as long as cody does get to finish the story as he puts it but maybe he won't can i ask you a question here how do you think the bloodline story's gone since that point because i think that was a turning point i think that that's been another perfect example of people saying people thinking because the bloodline didn't advance last week that means it will never advance again it's like it's and it's not just wrestling it's you know i follow football and it's like whoever's won the last game is like they're never gonna lose again (laughs) Whoever lost the last game they're never gonna win again that's always the attitude of it They'll go, they may go a month where the Bloodline storyline feels like it's spinning its wheels and it's not going anywhere. But then you just have to have one angle and it's just like, oh my god, it's the hottest thing in wrestling again. I mean, at the start of this year, I still don't think there's been a bigger pop this whole year. Other than when Sami Zayn swung that chair and hit the back of Roman Reigns. And that was maybe one of, like, if you're going to count, like, the great storyline moments of wrestling, the great babyface turns ever or whatever... That moment is going to be up there as one of the greats in all of wrestling history. That will be a moment that people who are wrestling fans will go back and rewatch and remember. And when they'll say it's not as good as it was back in my day, that will be one of the things that they cite. And you've had since then Jey Uso and the Usos beating Roman Reigns and Solo at Money in the Bank and how big a deal that was. And then Jimmy turning on Jay Again, Like a lot of the time people say it's milking it and because they just can't allow that they'll be... Three weeks from now, or one week from now, rather than one week from now. They'll be three months from now, rather than one week from now. And yes, there will come a point where they might milk it too much. Maybe they've milked it too much already. But every six months, there's someone that's suddenly like, oh, what's it going to be like if they go against Roman Reigns? Mm. 
And because, and as I said, like with Brock Lesnar losing a backlash, because they've done it in the past, it means that you don't know until that final third slap of the mat happens that it's not going to be that way. That they won't pull your rug from under you. As much as people got annoyed at Triple H winning all the time, the fact that then when he would lose, it meant something. And because you knew it was Triple H, you knew that it wasn't guaranteed that he wasn't going to win at coming into whatever match it was that they held. Everyone was convinced that Triple H was going to beat John Cena at WrestleMania 22 because it's Triple H. And instead he lost to John Cena by tap out. He did, yeah, yeah. Everyone was convinced, oh, John Cena's in this match, so that means he'll be at the end of it in an elimination chamber. And instead they eliminate him, like, within three minutes of him coming out of his pod. They do these things, and you moan about it at the time, but because they've done it in the future, that means it can pay off bigger than... And I'm not saying WWE are mastermind booking geniuses and we're all just puppets on their string. I'm just saying, whatever was a mistake this week, perhaps in the short term, or maybe later on in the long term, doesn't mean that everything's fucked forever. And just because Solo Sokoa hasn't yet hit Roman Reigns doesn't mean that when he does hit Roman Reigns, it's not going to be glorious. Just because Roman Reigns hasn't lost the belt yet doesn't mean that when he does eventually lose the belt, unless they just ride their luck and eventually health or whatever or injuries causes Romans have to vacate the belts. You can't cost, you know, can't afford for that. But that's the problem, isn't it? It's like so many eggs are in this basket. Yeah, but people just will put their eggs into the next basket and just as many eggs within a month from now. And I, like I said last year, when we were talking about what an amazing year 2022 was for FTR, in 2021, everyone was saying FTR are screwed, they've been booked badly and they'll never recover. Three weeks, they're the hottest act in wrestling again. Yeah. Anything can become hot all of a sudden. LA Knight comes in as a manager. Well, they've wasted all the potential that they had with him on NXT. No, they haven't. Three months down the line, he gets the right booking in the right place and he's allowed to talk. And he's the hottest act in wrestling. Let's just remember, we can't see any further than the end of our noses. And that's why it's really dumb that we're going to end this with predictions for what will happen in 2024. (laughs) The cream does always rise to the top, like to quote the macho man. It doesn't always rise to the top. It doesn't. Because if that were the case, Nigel McGuinness would not be what he was by the end when we were reflecting it on Rerun the Rivalry. Well, there is luck. There is timing. If LA Knight hadn't been around at the right time when Triple H ended up getting the book, he would have just been on Impact Wrestling right now, resurrecting Eli Drake. Oh, God, could you imagine? (laughs) And we'll lead that into later on. But my point is that, yes, now that Vince is gone... To a certain extent, that means WWE is in a better place. But I think we reflect on this in the episode that we've recorded of Bray Wyatt and the Firefly Funhouse. I feel like we may never get to a point of WWE, of wrestling just hitting the highest of highs. Because Vince, for whatever madness or whatever it is, sometimes you get Hogan, you get the Attitude Era, and it taps into a pulse that is still being memed to this day. Yeah, And just... Maybe WWE is just kind of part of the furniture now. So that you'll never get as high a high as Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant. Or Stone Cold versus The Rock. But you will get moments that mean so much to wrestling fans like Sami Zayn swinging a chair against Roman Reigns. Mm. So my point is that the highs will never maybe be as high as they were. But I don't think now the lows will ever be as low as they once were. Because Triple H might not be a genius like at times Vince McMahon has been. But he's also not a madman, which at even more times Vince McMahon had. <laughs> this, yeah, yeah, no, that, that that is a very fair point, and we are going to see like a more stable 
level-headed type of booking, one would assume. But it might that booking might get very boring and very repetitive very quickly as well. Especially if and when the Bloodline storyline does end. Because, I mean, they were just teasing another new faction, and it's obvious that Triple H loves his factions. Yeah. Because he comes from two of the best ones. But let's be honest, look at the facts. Judgment Day, super over. Bloodline, super over. Damage Control, super over. LWO, in the year 2023, the Latino World Order was, for at least a short period, like during that Puerto Rico show, they were the hottest thing I've ever seen in wrestling. People wrestling in LWO t-shirts in 2023 were the hottest thing in wrestling. <laughs> it's a launching pad for uh, Santos Escobar, who's now obviously like split off and done his own thing. And there's another new star, potentially, because they are always looking for that next Latino star. And I think that's their next project in that, in that realm. Well, yeah, I mean, so many people were shitting all over Dominic Mysterio as just not, it's never going to work because he's just not as charismatic and he's not as good as Rey Mysterio. And he's carved his own niche and Dominic Mysterio means something different to what Rey Mysterio means. Yeah. Dominic Mysterio making that prison mic entrance at WrestleMania. <laughs> Beautiful. That's like WWE at its best when it's just insane storylines and it's a soap opera and it's a, someone throwing a drink at their sister. Yeah. <laughs> it's... I love his quotes on that. It's like, you dumbass. What do you think I was going to do? WWE's in just a really good place right now. They're, as I said, they're part of the pop culture furniture. They can get Bad Bunny in. They can get Logan Paul in. And we don't really appreciate just how big stars those two are, I think, because we're detached from that world. But you do look at... I watch these YouTube videos of different people, like essay, video essayists or cultural commentators, and they use terms like heel turn. And they might reference something from wrestling, or they might use a meme from wrestling. And it is still WWE, and they have that stranglehold on the culture for the most part. Yeah. But they're part of it, and I don't think they're ever going to go away. It's because, well, it was this thing I attributed, and I'll, I'll talk about it more, I think, especially when we talk about the Iron Claw when we're doing Silver Screen Visions, that I think it's because we have that generation of people that grew up on wrestling, and they're the people that are in charge of the culture. The, the comparison I always make is that in the early 90s, we suddenly got this flux of like remakes of things like The Addams Family and The Fugitive and all these other pop culture things from like the 60s that I didn't really know, but I knew them through this film. And that's because the people who are now commissioning movies and TV shows were the ones that grew up on those shows. So now we're getting these figures like directors, movie directors like Sean Durkin, who grew up watching wrestling, and they're now getting to make a movie about wrestling in the Von Eriks because they were interested in that culture. And obviously Logan Paul at some point was into wrestling, and I don't think he was ever like a massive fan, but he took to it like a duck to water, and Bad Bunny grew up as a wrestling fan, and these people who were in their teens or whatever, like our age, basically, in their teens or pre-teens at the time of the Attitude Era and everything else, they're the ones that are now the ones that are the, in the positions of power to commission stuff, or are the pop cultural icons themselves. Yeah. And are able to take their love of those things and bring it in back into the mainstream, and then it's like, it's less of an awkward thing to talk about, and it does seem like a lot of people are saying online that they've rekindled their interest in wrestling in recent years. Mm. 
as grown-ups and kind of realising why they enjoyed it in the first place. Whether that will fade off again, I don't, I don't think it will, really. I think that... Well, no. Because it's not like lots of people watch wrestling now, but it's like, because culture's so fractured and scattered to the winds, everything's of equal weight. Actually, I'll give you a good example of that. My two friends run a merchandise business for, like, geek apparel. So they do shirts and jumpers and toys and all that for, like, Stranger Things and Marvel and Warhammer. 40,000. That's a big deal, if you don't know. And also, just to like l- latch onto your point there, that's just got an Amazon Prime series. So, it, again, not just wrestling. I misread that headline at first that Amazon commissions 40,000 films and TV shows. I was like, that's way too many. <laughs> Content is everything. Produce, produce, produce. Well, we'll get into that in a little bit. <laughs> but what was fascinating, though, is that they there's like a biannual convention in Birmingham where... There are people that... It started off, like, back when we were teenagers. It was, like, half sport, half geeky memorabilia stuff. And they were, like, used to get autographs from people like Carl Fogarty or the Liverpool European Cup winning side of 1984. And those were big parts of it. But there was also, like, stands for comic books, stands for movie posters. Really cool hodgepodge of stuff. It still goes on to this day, and sometimes I go to it because my friends have a, will have a stand there to sell their stuff. Mm. But what's fascinating now is, first of all, by not going in dressed up in cosplay, you are now in the minority. <laughs> Look at that weirdo in his jeans and hoodie. <laughs> oh my god, that's a great cosplay of jeans and hoodie, man. <laughs> it's got 30,000 episodes on Crunchyroll. <laughs> and what was really interesting, like I said, it's all cosplay now, but it's so many different types of cosplay. Like, when when the Marvel stuff started kicking off in the early two, 2010s, it was mostly people wearing some form of, like, comic book costumes or maybe a Shaun of the Dead here or there. I mean, Shaun of the Dead, that's so low effort, that one. But now it's, like, costumes of everything and anything. And I didn't know what, like, the majority of the costumes were in reference to. Like, a lot of them seem to be people in, like, 18th or 19th century military regalia, like, you know, naval or, you know, military, but with, like, an anime wig. And I don't know what that's a reference to, but it's a reference to something. Yeah, the world of anime, like, it's just too detailed now. I mean, I only ever, ever, due to my friends, had, like, a cursory glancing knowledge of it, but it's just this own beast, this own animal now. Yeah, but it isn't just anime, but it's just that's why I'm using examples. There's stuff to all these different TV shows, and like you say, there's so much content out there. And so they're saying, like, now with Marvel, like their, their two biggest sellers are still, like, Marvel and Star Wars, but nowhere near as much as they used to. Mm. And the third biggest seller is Warhammer. And do people outside of Warhammer and Atletico Mints know what that is, really? But it's huge to those that care. Yeah. And so nothing necessarily has that cross-cultural impact as much anymore. I think the biggest thing for Gen Z has been uh, Stranger Things. That is still a huge thing to them. That's like the biggest things since Harry Potter, I suppose. Mm. That has had th- and, and Twilight. That has had that kind of cultural penetration for that generation. Which is funnily enough, like a derivative of all the different sources from... From the 80s and 90s but it is it's but to be fair it is its own entity it is very much its own yeah, thing personally i'd have said probably first phase mcu uh like end game infinity war i think that had a lot of that's true yes to be fair marvel but i don't i think that was still millennial i think that was late millennial i don't think gen z gives much of a shit about marvel as seen by the struggles for characters like ms marvel to get over with the crowd despite her being a very good actress that's playing her and I, I'm a defender of the Marvels, I'll say it right here, but we'll get a bit more into that in a little bit. <laughs> 
yeah, my point is that now that there's not something that, like, everyone knows, if there's something that has a core passionate fan base, it maybe has an outsized representation in pop culture. And I don't know if there's many groups of people that are more online, more active, more baiting with one another, and more trending on Twitter. And I know that Twitter and Instagram and threads and all that are catered to what I follow, but it does seem like wrestling has a huge presence online because wrestling fans are a regular presence online. And I suppose because, as we were saying, the discourse is just constant. It never ends. Oh, yeah. There's no two-year season break for Stranger Things for them to film another season. Yeah. And so because of that, wrestling, without necessarily having the 10 million viewers like it did in the Attitude Era, has a cultural impact because those that care really care and really want to have their voices heard. Yeah, and you you talk you touched on people like reconnecting with wrestling and reconnecting with things from their childhood in general. But obviously that's because a lot like life's hard right now. Like, you know, there's inflation, there's the cost of living, there's all sorts of going on. Good luck trying to get on the property ladder no matter where you are in the developed world. But what's familiar? What makes you feel like safe and comfortable? It's things from your childhood and pro wrestling is there for you. For, personally for me, like that's one of... It's, when I've had like low points in my life and like high points in my life, like wrestling had because it never goes away. Wrestling has been a constant. It's like a comfort blanket in a sense. But what is fascinating now is that wrestling as we know it is no longer under the control of that one crazy billionaire. <laughs> We've lost our Gargamel. We've lost our Palpatine. <laughs> well, he's like he's there, but he isn't, isn't he? He's like this spectre now. Because we didn't know going out of WrestleMania if Vince was like going to be on Raw every week, if he was going to book stuff. And there'll be those moments where they'd say, Vince is backstage and suddenly everything gets turned, torn up and things happen. And it's like, you know, when it's a Vince week or when it's not a Vince week. Yeah. But what was fascinating was that Vince knew he had one last roll of the dice to bring himself back into power. And he took it because he knew he couldn't go back as it was. So it had to be into a new form. And it was always that thing of will he sell WWE? And I think it was always maybe it was hard to imagine Vince as an employee, as a seller. And that's what Vince has become. But he did it in a way that he thought he could have maybe got it to work. Mm. By not selling, but merging. But it was still a takeover, ultimately, because it was 49% WWE and 51% UFC. And for the first time, Vince was under someone else on a corporate ladder in Ari Emanuel. And at first, it was like Ari was saying, oh, when he was, they were doing like the, uh, the CNBC interviews or the Fox Business interviews. Oh, we can't do this without Vince. This wasn't, wouldn't work without Vince, those quotes, yeah. Yeah, and we see Vince with his <laughs> matinee idol moustache. <laughs> jet black That was hair. the debut of that, wasn't it? <laughs> Everyone was like, what's this? <laughs> Vince is back, <laughs> and he has a moustache. It's the same Malibu Stacey as before, but he's got a moustache. Isn't that so, so what it says entirely about wrestling fans? Like, yeah, we get pissed off and crazy about these things, but... The main thing we want to comment about Vince is he has a moustache. Yeah. I mean, you kind of know what you're getting with Vince, I guess. It... No, you don't. You never know what you're well, well, Sort of. <laughs> well, you're, you're right, but you're also not. Generally, you know what you're getting. Specifically what he'll do. No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just, it is fascinating to see it happen in front of our eyes that Vince made all these plays and threw his power into it and it was one last go and he thought, you know, he believed what Ari told him, which was, 
I'll let you run everything, just like Dana's going to run everything for UFC, and you don't need to worry. And then, what, three, four months down the line, we're told, nope, he has no say in the artistic direction of the company. He has no say in creative. Yep. And we saw that reflect by a more consistently good product after that. And he's not going to be able to reclaim. He's not going to be able to say to Ari because he can't pull like I own the company. Yeah, it's my company. I say what he can't do that anymore. He didn't get to say that CM Punk got signed. That was Nick Khan's job because Nick Khan's in charge of the business side of it. Yeah, and that point of consistency you uh, just made there, you made that point earlier with Triple H. Like, yeah, you won't get like the moments of genius, but you'll get a steadier ship. And anyone who's taking over any business will look at the two options and go. I want a more consistent return, and creatively, I don't have a great sample size, but he's consistently delivering, and Triple H is, and he's not going to try and um, Iago me, and try and like take it back. It's you know he he understands his role, whereas Vince has this emotional connection. So who, of course, out of the two, who would I prefer? Triple H. So what's Vince doing now? He's hobbling around on a walking stick. Watching Francis Ngano and Tyson Fury have the equivalent of the fight between Mike Tyson and Secretariat on international waters. Ooh, I, I think you're giving Ngano a bit more credit than that. I think you should. But you know what I mean. It's just it's one of there's this weird world we're in right now where we're all just entertainers to oil rich nations trying to pivot away from their oil, but using their riches for other political means sports washing bleeds across all sports emphasis on bleeds absolutely and as i said when if cm punk makes that entrance at greatest royal rumble 2 or whatever it is he's gonna be at <laughs> promo joe be eating well that night to say the least yeah but that's all vince is now he's like this cuddly little mascot this, this is my point nothing sums up where vince is more than that bloke who took a picture with him and just with the caption i met the crying meme guy Wow. That's the meme that's doing the rounds is Vince McMahon uh, getting all teary-eyed. And it's it's a great meme, great level of mileage. But I don't know if that guy was taking the piss or actually did know who Vince was or not. But the fact that you frame it that way, that's where he is. Him and Undertaker sitting next to Eminem. Yep. <laughs> a boxing match that you know Vince doesn't give two shits about. I think Vince is in a worse place now than he was last year. Because he knew that he could plot... And he could scheme his way back in, and he knew he had an in still. We've got that Bill Simmons documentary coming out. That will put Vince back into the forefront, culturally, perhaps. Mm. Maybe not in the way he wants, though. He's ended on a whimper, almost. I think that's what jars with us, uh, talking about it, is it's so anti-Vince, the way that this has ended. It's not bombastic. It's not grandeur. He's not blowing himself up in a limo he's just disappeared to be fair what was happening on wrestlemania was like the last big what the fuck is happening yeah. involving vince i suppose hell of a way to play your final roll of the dice but fair play to nick khan and triple h that they outplayed him in the long run and ari emmanuel as well he got played just like how vince played all of those territory people for his own good a better businessman took Vince for a ride in the same way that Vince took the others for a ride. I suppose in in a way he respects that, maybe. Who knows? No, he doesn't respect <laughs> I'd, I'd be curious to see if he, like, continues to physically deteriorate after this, because he, he must have a deflated sense of purpose now. Mm. 
I mean, there's talk of all these TV deals that was always Vince's, like, big thing that he was always building up to. And apparently it's Nick Khan that's doing yep. it. Nick Khan's going to Warner Brothers and pitching to them. Because, I tell you what, Triple H and uh, Nick Khan have taken a page out of from Vince's playbook. They are playing Tony Khan like a fiddle at the moment. Wow. Let's let's draw it up. Let's look at the title of the tape for the year that was between the two. I mean, it's not looking good, Brev. <laughs> if you're AEW, you are right. Well, I don't think it's looking as bad as people are saying it is, but I don't think it was ever looking as good as people said it was before. Mm. But I do think one of the key narratives now, I think, to wrestlers and the wrestling public has been the fact that Cody is instrumental in the forming of AEW, but he essentially it doesn't mesh right with them. And it seemed like Cody had put all his eggs in the AEW basket and he leaves AEW just... It feels almost like a lesser commodity than he was when it started. Like, the Codyverse was just a much-mocked part of wrestling. He kept himself deliberately out of the main scene. He was in his own little world. Yeah. Just fighting guys like Anthony Gogo and Cutie Marshall. And so he was a joke within that system because he had, like, full control, I suppose, over his own little world. Yeah. And so it was like, he, he left it almost diminished. He loses a ladder match to Sammy Guevara. And then there's that moment where it seems like he can't even get a deal with WWE. And it's like, is he going to turn up at Impact? Is he going to turn up in NWA? What the hell's going on? And instead, WrestleMania 38, he debuts, works with Seth Rollins, does a huge injury to his chest, but that weirdly is better for him in the long run because it makes the absence, makes the heart grow fonder. He comes back, almost gets overtaken by Sami Zayn, but he's there at the Royal Rumble winning it from Gunther. And that was really incredible booking that they were able to make Gunther the Gunther 70 minutes still feel like the overwhelming bully and Cody's the guy from underneath because what does Gunther like doing? Chopping people in the chest. <laughs> but my key point is that whilst even though in WWE he's been booked differently he was like so white meat babyface 80s style in AEW it was unreal well he was trying to be John Cena wasn't he yeah essentially and the problem was AEW don't know how to book John Cena but you know how to book John Cena WWE so when he goes to WWE and he fits into their what they want and he made his name for himself and he'd proven something to them and then it was in their interest to make their first big signing from AEW look so much more of a bigger deal in WWE and be so better presented so better packaged in front of much bigger crowds more receptive crowds and he's not in charge of his own storyline and the quality of opponents they can put him up against both in the main eventers but also the undercard are of a higher status and higher caliber and they're told they do what they're told yeah you put him up with Seth Rollins you put him up with Drew McIntyre you put him up with Roman Reigns you put him up with Gunther and it means a whole lot more than either putting him up against I'm sorry but what Brody Lee was at that point <sighs> or Nick Kamato, or whatever his name is, or Cutie Marshall, or even Sammy Guevara, who AEW were clearly trying to make a star, or MJF, or even if it had been, he turned heel and went with Hangman Page and whatever, it wouldn't have been as big a deal as being in a big crowd, having a Hell in a Cell match with Seth Rollins, mm. or being in the Royal Rumble in front of a baseball stadium crowd, or being at WrestleMania. And he's not in full control of his storyline, so they can say, no. You're not doing that. You're not doing this. You're doing this. Cody would not have booked himself to lose to Roman Reigns. No. At WrestleMania. No. Well, well the, the whole MJF I can never challenge again. He did do that. That was obviously booked for something that would happen later on down the yeah. line. Because if you look at every way that Cody Rhodes booked himself, it was always needless to say, I got the last line. <laughs> 
Don't be so blue, Peter. Yeah. <laughs> but then, but so they've got that image of Cody, and AW guys can look at it and see. Okay, well, AW gets me so far. WWE gets me even further. And now that they did what I always thought they were going to do. Yeah. Make the big play for Jade Cargill, and Jade Cargill automatically signs up for them. And because Tony Khan didn't know how to book her properly, they just do a flash quick loss to Chris Statlander and a follow-up on Rampage. Mm. And so the year and a half that he spent building her up ultimately comes to next to nothing. I don't see Chris Statlander as much more over going over Jay Cargill like it's the equivalent of Brock Lesnar breaking the Undertaker's streak, which it should have been. Well, we'll get to that a little bit when we get to AEW specifically under the lens. But I have I have something charged up for that, don't you worry. But my point with that is that I think everyone knows that Jay Cargill has WrestleMania headliner within her. And you have faith in WWE to know how to present her packager. They'll have more avenues with larger media outlets to put her on those shows. Which is what she wanted. Yeah. She'll turn up on the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon or whatever, and she'll look right being there. Oh, do you reckon she'll press slam Fallon? That'd be a a good image. God, no. Something like that. Jimmy Fallon looks like someone who'd be into that. (laughs) Oh, why have you... You've ruined it. You've ruined my lovely idea with your filth. No one can ruin anything Jimmy Fallon's involved in. He's already done it himself. Okay, I didn't realise there was beef there, but okay. (laughs) But you look at that, you look at Cody, and now you look at Jade. Is the idea going to be now, like it was when Chris Jericho or The Big Show went to WWE from WCW? It's like, well, now they're going to get presented well. Mm -hmm. Because WWE is where you go to actually make someone a true star. Is that what the image is going to be? Because I'd like, if I'm any woman in wrestling right now, I do not want to go to AEW if it can be avoided. Wow. And I think it's very significant that she's been gone for over a year. And all we've ever seen of Mercedes Monet is her in the stands at Wembley Stadium. (laughs) She has bided her time and picked her moments. And I genuinely don't. If I'm Mercedes Monet right now, I'm waiting to go to WWE to come back as Sasha Banks. Well, they say absence makes the heart grow fonder, like you say. And she's picked her moment well. And now, now that Charlotte is injured for nine months... Her bargaining position's even stronger. Now, Charlotte's recently obviously signed, like, apparently a record-breaking contract for a woman in WWE. And Mercedes has flat out apparently apparently said, I want more. <laughs> and she knows her star value. We've co- we've covered it before. She, you know, now she's in The Mandalorian and all that uh, stuff. And via Hot Ones, she, she's built her own brand. And she's just waiting. She's patiently waiting. And... If it wasn't for the writer's strike, maybe she wouldn't be entertaining it right now. Maybe there would be projects she's working on instead. You never know. It will be mutually beneficial for both parts. And I just don't think Mercedes would have faith in AEW to know how to present and package her in a way that doesn't harm her in the long run. Mm. Do you remember I sent you a text like a couple of weeks ago or whatever about Tony Storm? Because that's what people will go, who would have a go at me back for saying AEW is not a place to go if you're a woman wrestler. That they'll say Tony Storm's one of the most over wrestlers in all of AEW right now. And yes, she is. But you know what's going to happen? She's going to win, and she's going to keep winning, but she's going to win in pretty much the same way that happens every time. Luther's going to help her, and if not Luther, then what's her name? Mariah? Uh, Mariah May. She'll help her, just like what happened with Jade Cargill and the baddies, just like what happened with Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter and Reba, Reba, Rebel, whatever. 
And they'll do that and they'll put her through every person in the women's roster. And they'll build up that person for the length of time for that feud. And then after they're done with Tony Storm having lost the match, they'll have nothing to do then for the next six months. We'll see them on Rampage tag teaming with Willow Nightingale or taking on Anna Jay. Yeah. That's what we're going to get. Until the gimmicks ultimately run dry, maybe there's one person left that she hasn't wrestled yet. Maybe a returning from injury, Jamie Hayter. And they'll have Jamie win, but it just won't feel like it's the perfect moment for it, like it would have been in the past. Is Britt Baker in a better position now than she was after she was like one of the hottest acts back in 2020, 2021? No. No. Was Jade Cargill nearly the star that they looked like they were trying to do and sacrificing everyone to her in order to become that star? No. She lost on a blinking you'll miss it Chris Stantland, which doesn't make Chris Stantland look that great either. You know, she comes back after Jade Cargill's already wrestled a match. Mm. And then she loses the rematch fair and square on Rampage. They don't even give him dynamite. Well, I think that was a timing thing. That doesn't matter. That speaks to, and there's other other points I want to raise about that later on in terms of Tony Khan and his attention span. But when we talk about women specifically side by side... AEW versus WWE, I completely get where you're coming from. You look at the two options, you're like, where am I going to get A, more screen time, B, more opportunities, C, more extracurricular opportunities? It's WWE. How hugely over now is Rhea Ripley? Oh, God, yeah. You know, how over are Damage Control, mm. EO Sky, Asuka, Bailey, all of those figures? How over is Bianca Belair? How over is Charlotte? How over is Becky Lynch still? She's not as over to the point that she was the main event star of WrestleMania, and she had to be. Like, if that WrestleMania had been over two nights, she would have headlined night two against Ronda Rousey and Charlotte. Yeah. But they've kept it, and they've sustained it. There are times when they might make a dip, but put it this way. WWE had debuted their version of the Continental Classic. It wouldn't have just been men doing that. There would have been a women's version of it going on side by side. Oh, yes, absolutely. Tony Khan wouldn't have even thought of that during this period that he came up with the Continental Classic. Yeah. Because Tony Khan never dreamt of booking women in wrestling. And that's not to say he's a sexist. That's not to say... The Tony Khan deep down would love to do, if he could do, he'd book bra and panties matches. Is that he just wouldn't book them much of anything other than just the title match. And that's all it is. And that's what WWE was like with the women's division post bra and panties, pre-women's revolution. Yeah. That it was just like, whoever was the champion, that was, and like everyone got a go at the belt. I always say like, Gail Kim won the women's title on her first night on Raw. Well, there's nothing for her to build built up to. Yeah. So with AEW, yeah, because they've got a TBS title, that means that you might have two storylines going on with women right now. But they're just for the belt. Do you think he really knows what he's going to do with Julia Hart and Abaddon? Does he really know? No, and the whole sky blue thing as well. I it, look, it, look, it's a hodgepodge. And-, and also, they're not they're bringing in the talent that need the group. I didn't realize this that when Annie J got signed by AEW, she wrestled like twelve matches. Yeah, and I'm not having to go at Anna J. Go where the money is. Go where you can make a living. And you don't know whether that opportunity will be presented to you again if you do do the two years of hard labour, sweating under the smaller scale shows in order to hone your craft and become that star. She's not had that chance to do that. Neither has Sky Blue. Neither have loads of other people that they've brought in. They haven't had their NXT. The WWE, by going for women with mostly athletic backgrounds like your Tiffany Stratton's. Yeah. You know, it's something that AEW can't compete with them at and they can train them up and hone them and make them do their WWE style of wrestling. I mean... I don't know if Tiffany Stratton could sink or swim in stardom Mm. 
or women of wrestling or be forced to go up against Athena in a Ring of Honor star match. But she doesn't have to learn that necessarily. Yeah. The WWE have that advantage and that of that policy is they can first of all like sort of program them to be the perfect WWE employee. I mean, to be fair, like, you thought that maybe that's what they've done with Naomi, but she has succeeded with, with, in Impact without the, you know, it was wise for her to go with Impact over AEW, to be honest with you. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they've been famed for their knockout division over the years. Like, they are a good place for women's storylines to, de- to develop. But I think that might be where the future where wrestling... They'll pluck out a couple of people that show raw potential, like Rhea Ripley was, like Becky Lynch was, like Paige did. But most of them getting college-trained women athletes is a good idea, because you know who don't get a, make a lot of money? Women athletes. Well, you could have just said college athletes, to be honest. <laughs> Yeah, well, they do more than they ever used to. And funnily enough, it is the college gymnast ladies that are making a lot of money at the moment. Not necessarily because of their... But that's just the way of the world, unfortunately. But my point is, WWE are getting people at a higher level of athletic ability, and then they can put wrestling onto them. And I think the future is your Tiffany Strattons. But I don't think, especially now that Vince is not in charge, if someone like, you know, they, they're happy to take Jade Cargill up, and I think they'd be very happy to take, maybe not Anna Jay, but someone like Willow Nightingale. I think they could see a lot of potential in her and just give her a couple of years in NXT to finally get the WWE side of things. And Willow should have faith that they would know how to program and present her better than AEW have. And I think Willow Nightingale is one of the few successes in AEW as far as women go. Yeah. But I still don't have faith that AEW will ever want to put as much behind her as WWE would. That speaks generally more to the overall booking of AEW. I don't think there are two women in AEW's women division right now who would be given the time and platform and necessarily have the ability and be produced and maybe agented to have a match as good as Charlotte Flair versus Rhea Ripley was this year at WrestleMania, which was my favourite match of WrestleMania this year ahead of the two that got five stars from Meltzer that we cover for the five-star projects. Yep. Although it was annoying that Charlotte was at the last <laughs> Well, Charlotte is Charlotte, but like I say, absence will make the heart grow fonder with Charlotte. But, and this like hammers home the point that we're both making. Yeah, Charlotte's gone down. That's not the end of their talent pool. Their talent pool is so deep and it's so well nurtured and so well looked after and so well booked that it's not a problem. If Charlotte was in AEW and went down, that's a problem. <laughs> If Julia Hart goes down, that's a problem. When Ruby Riot came into AEW as Ruby Soho, that was the last time I think there was a sense of, well, AEW will get this right where WWE got this wrong. Yeah. Partly because maybe Ruby Soho was shown to not be as fully great a wrestler as we always thought her potential was necessarily. That's not to say she's not good, but she's not necessarily top level beyond like being held back to a greater degree by WWE. And also, at that time, she was booked to win that Rumble, but then... She lost the title match because it was, was it still Britt Baker at that point? Yeah. And that was the one that Tony Khan was focusing all his energy on. The women's division is basically, who do I want to be women's champion? Tony Storm was over enough that she never needed the women's title. They could have had three good women's storylines going on at that point. What was happening with the women's title, what was happening with the TBS title, and what's happening with Tony Storm. But instead, she's the most over woman, therefore she has to be the women's champion. And that then reduces us down to still the Tony Storm segment. That's what women's wrestling was. It used to be the Britt Baker segment on AEW. Now it's the Tony Storm segment on AEW. <laughs> yes. So look, from a women's perspective, not great I'm on the tail of the tape. And there's other perspectives in well in which like 
AEW's not looking as as steadfast uh, as it was. People have obviously raised the recent financial point that AEW has apparently lost $34 million this year compared to WWE's strongest financial year on record. Partly buoyed by the takeover, but, you know, money is money. I don't like to go into the business side of things because I don't know. It's like Joe Rogan and Bill Burr arguing over COVID. I want to be Bill Burr saying, (laughs) I don't have an MBA. You don't have an MBA. So let's just not act as if any of us know what we're talking about on the financial front. But what it does seem like was that Tony Khan put his eggs into the basket of that second big TV deal. Mm. If they can get 50% of what WWE gets with their multi-billion dollar TV deals, then it will become a profitable company at that point because it's getting hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, and Dave Meltzer always has his flaws, but I did see a tweet from him recently where it was like, the two most watched shows on cable TV this week were WWE and AEW. Yes. So uh, maybe AEW is an even more online fan base than wwe oh no question but maybe that's just because of what i follow and what i have sent to me based on the algorithms but as i was saying like all those people that were tweeting and complaining about wwe they moved to AEW because AEW was giving them what they wanted or what they they thought it was going to give them what they wanted there are obviously many different people's visions of what AEW was going to be there was cody's vision there was the young bucks's vision there was kenny omega's vision there's tony khan's vision and there's all these different fans vision there was cm punk's vision and instead we've got like a hot hodgepodge of all of it but ultimately it's tony khan's yeah and the funny thing is now in a way you can argue that wwe is wcw insofar as it's part of a larger media conglomerate yeah and that it's a product with a corporate structure that will ebb and flow over time at some point in 10 years time maybe nick khan's not in charge of wwe anymore maybe he's in charge of tko but he's not like dealing with hands-on as much what WWE is operating. Maybe Triple H is not going to be in charge of creative in 10 years' time, and Shawn Michaels isn't either. There'll never be someone who reigns over WWE as long as Vince McMahon did. No. You're not going to get a 40-year reign of WWE anymore. You could get a 40-year reign of AEW under Tony Khan. We're also on the eccentricities and whims of one man, but that's now AEW instead of it being WWE. It's one man with less of an iron fist. That's the big problem, yeah. Yeah, and you made the point about like the online audience of AEW versus the um, different audience of WWE. CM Punk recently tried to like do a little like nudge wink joke. Granted, it was a tribute to the troops, and you know it was troops in attendance, probably not even wrestling fans, but it fell flat on its ass. Whereas in AEW, that would have been like, oh, got him, yeah. And that's a perfect example of what you've just highlighted. They are very different audiences. And that's perfectly fine. That's perfectly serviceable. But, obviously, WWE's got that name value. It's got that cachet. It's got that legacy. So, yes, it's going to command more in, like, a TV market. And if the TV market condenses, because now we're scattered to the winds with all these streaming services, and what comes after a big expansion in like most industries is a big crunch. Networks merger, don't they? Like, like the weak will fall off and get hoovered up by the strong. And when it comes to streaming, and will there be less networks to go to get a TV deal from? And then does that create a problem? 
I find it impossible to believe that there's going to be a Paramount Plus by the end of 2025. Yeah. Put it that way. And that's the thing. Obviously, the story right now is of the merger potentially between Warner Brothers Discovery and Paramount. Mm. But before then, there have been talk of Warner Brothers merging with uh, Comcast, NBC Universal. And that is a scary for t- Tony Khan, really. And Tony Khan would worry about that more than WWE. Because, like, when Tony Khan signed up to AEW, there were still, like, six or seven major broadcasters out there. Yes. Now there's media, conglomeration, film studios, whichever way you want to put it. Now there's five, and there might soon be four. So if there are four major conglomerates out there, there's not a guarantee at any point that two of them are willing to spend a lot of money on wrestling as a product, even if it brings in the ratings. I mean, that's it. Content is king, and obviously, as you pointed out, these guys hit big numbers still. In relative terms. Yeah, well, this is this is what my point... It's more like their numbers have stayed the same, but what counts as big has changed. Crap. Vastly. Exactly, but still top. That's that's the key thing. I yes, it's less of a like n- it's a smaller number, but they are still top of the pile. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and I don't think I'll be fully scared. I think you'll get that second big deal, and then that'll be really interesting to see what AEW is like as a corporate entity at that point. But then it's like one of those things of like I don't. It's still hard for me to measure. I like it seems equally plausible to me. The AEW is like, impact is now, in like 20 years time, AEW is in a little warehouse in Manitoba. Mm. And the champions are like uh, Dante Martin and Carmelo Hayes, because it didn't work out for him in WWE. Yeah. That is plausible. But what's equally plausible is AEW is basically what it is now. And it has its ups and downs, but it has its core fan base and it's on a major network TV and it's still run by Tony Khan. Or... It's swallowed up by WWE. WWE buy AEW in 2030 the same way they bought WCW. Or AEW continues to be something because it's able to run on the whims of a billionaire who can sink his money into these things and it's still around in 2063. It's all of these things. It's really hard to measure. And I do think that, like, the negativity that surrounds AEW right now is outsized. I do think it's outsized. People saying, like, oh, this is the worst the product's ever been. And it's like, shut up. Because, again, you can't remember that far back. You can't remember that suddenly everyone was complaining about that one mass member of the Dark Order not punching realistically. And that was as bad as wrestling's ever gotten, apparently. Or where the basis of a whole online discussion was how many moves Alan Angel should have in a match against... Oh, God, that. It's- I do remember that. It's forever shifting, and what was important last week is not necessarily going to be important this week. Yeah. What I think it's a bit like right now is what I was saying a bit earlier with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yes. So during the 2010s, when it's at its cultural high point, basically people ignored the mistake. Two of the worst films that Marvel have made, definitely bottom half of the Marvel movie slates, were Ant-Man and the Wasp and Captain Marvel. But they came either side of Infinity War and Endgame, so it wasn't part of the narrative. I would say about half of what they put out this year is good to very good. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. It was very dark, but it was excellent. Uh, Loki had its loves. I didn't love it as much as other people did, but there you go. I really rated the Marvels, but it wasn't the narrative thrust, so people gave it more negativity than it deserved back when they gave Captain Marvel more positivity than it deserved. Yeah. Because it's like, what's the underlying message of the product, of what the the brand's association is with it? And so people are wait. It's like people wanted Wonder Woman to be excellent. So when it was pretty good, they said it was excellent. And then they wanted Wonder Woman 1984 to be awful 
because Gal Gadot sang Imagine to us all. Mm. And instead, instead of it being kind of iffy, it was one of the worst comic book movies ever made. Ooh, that's a bold shout, considering some of the stuff that's been put out there. That's what people were saying about Wonder Woman 984. I don't know if you were paying attention to the discourse. I'll be honest, I checked out of MCU and I never went into the DC. Yeah, so that's my point, like... Maybe AEW back in like 2020 and 2019 up to 2021 when it was at its most exciting. You know, like in theory, the peak of AEW for a lot of people is CM Punk comes out. Then he has his match back for ages against Darby Allen on that same show. Adam Cole and Brian Danielson come out. Maybe that's AEW's peak. Probably 30% of their products at that point was either underwhelming or outright bad. But people didn't mind because 60 to 70% of it was very good. And so the idea was that AEW is great right now. And WWE was still under Vince's control and it was the Thunderdome and all whatever else. So it just wasn't. So my point now is that maybe what AEW's product is right now is somewhere between 40 to 60% at any one time, good to bad. And it like fluctuates on that range. And because of that, AEW's doomed forever. Okay. For so many people right now. And it won't be around in three years' time. And it's like, let's get some perspective. So, here's my point with that. Because you've just mentioned, obviously, like the pandemic era of AEW, which... I kind of enjoyed, in a sense, because they had to get creative and they had to do so many different things. And I look at AEW now compared to then, and creatively, there's a lot of dropped balls. There is. Um, we've, we've mentioned some already. But there were balls being dropped back then, but no one was paying as much attention to it. The women's division was always in trouble. It wasn't enough for people to reflect too badly. And because we hadn't yet seen these patterns of booking of, of Tony Khan with the women's division until we see the repetition with Jade Cargill and now with Tony Storm. Okay, but it's not just the women's division now. But it wasn't just the women's division back then. It was the Codyverse. But because we liked the, all the stuff with the Elite, and Hangman Adam Page, which was probably really was the creative peak of the company. Okay, yeah. Was what Hangman Adam Page was doing. Fine. We let it we let it slide. The Codyverse was isolated, it was self-contained. However, look at like the little like the creative errors not errors, okay, missteps or like just like lack of management of timings. The fact that they had to like crowbar in Omega versus MJF because MJF was close to breaking Omega's record and it just turned up on a collision, not like a pay-per-view match or something like that. Or they didn't hype to it beyond Kenny a week out going, can I fight for that, please? You've got Samoa Joe surrendering a title he's just retained in the ring. You've got lots of little silly errors which weren't there before. Or if they were... They, they, you know, they got a pass because everything else seemed good, like you say. However, despite the fact that he has been champion for a year, like nearly a year, the MJF storyline has stalled chronically. Like, I am looking forward to World's End, not because of the fact that it's a pay-per-view, but the fact that hopefully this devil thing gets moved forward in some way. It's it's really like claggy and cl- it's clogging up a lot right now. I think that was an interesting point that Dave Meltzer made when it came to the exploding barbed wire match that Kenny Omega had with John Moxley. Until the explosion, they'd had a good match. Yeah. Now the the whole interference from the uh, the OC or whatever it was they were called at that point. I can't remember. I don't. Care. <laughs> no one cares. 
That is a flaw of Tony Khan's booking still to this day, an over-reliance on outside interference. Yeah. To the point that he has to say, don't worry, the Continental Classic's not going to have any because we'll enforce a rule. But then you're like, well, why don't you enforce the rule the other 11 months of the year? But what happened was the explosion didn't pay off. So no one ever remembers anything about whether the match was good or bad Mm. because the explosion didn't pay off. Even if the devil storyline was booked to perfection, so perfectly weighed from week to week to week, if the pulling of the mask reveal is really bad, that's all people will remember. Similarly, as up and down as it has been at this point, if the pulling of the mask is something that makes people shit their pants of how awesome it is, they'll remember the build-up as better than it was. And ultimately... It's always just happened in the past. In six months' time, it won't really matter one way or another. It will just be indicative of either what we like about AEW booking when they do it right, or what we hate about AEW booking when they do it wrong. You're putting all your eggs into that basket, and then in six months' time, your eggs will be put into another basket, and you're going to say the same thing again. Mr. Tony Khan needs to delegate. It is that simple. But... Do you even know that, like, Ring of Honor's now booked by Jimmy Jacobs, for the most part? Well, I don't... To be honest, I don't really care about Ring of Honor. <laughs> but that's a sign that he's delegated. Yeah, but the fact that it invaded AEW and clock that, that's another thing. It's too much stuff. You've put another promotion within your promotion. It's too much stuff. <laughs> Did you see the uh, recent reveal that, he, that there's now a women's TV championship on Ring of Honor? I did see Dave Meltzer try and defend Tony. It's like, well... WWE's got 14 titles and AEW's now slash Ring of Honor's now got 13. Here's the point I wanted to make. One thing I did do a couple of weeks ago was look at the AEW roster page and count up how many active wrestlers they have. So I wasn't including people who are listed on the roster page like negative one. Oh, bless him. Or like announcers. What number do you think it was? Well, how many... Uh, to be fair, I can't remember the exact number, but I've got it to a ten. So to a ten, what do you think it is? All right. So this is so your answer. You re- the the correct answer you've got is to the nearest ten. Just to clarify. Yeah, I can't remember if it was like a few above that or below that. Well, it must have been above it. So it's above this ten. Okay. This multiple of ten. One hundred and thirty. Well, it's one hundred and twenty. Ah, oh, close. So. It might be close to 130 than it is 120, to be fair. I just know it was over 120. Mm. Now, you'll say that's an example of roster bloat, and I do think that is the case. What I will say, though, in defense, is that I then looked at the WWE's roster page, and they also have over 120 contracted talents. Mm. But the counter-argument to that, you can say, is that how much of that was NXT talent, how much it is over three different brands so in theory that does mean that three brands have approximately a roster of somewhere around 40 to 50 each and that doesn't sound nearly as bad how long's the weekly ring of honor show these days i don't know anything about what's happening in ring of honor like there was a big blow off to a few between tony niece and ethan page buggered if i know what <laughs> about look we've recently obviously done our even on the rivalry series where we we really tapped into like one of the feuds that was going when you were like Maybe near your apex of loving Ring of Honor? Would that be fair to say? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have been around that time, yeah. And now it's been, like, salvaged and come back and everything that happened to Ring of Honor in the interim years. Christ, we could do stuff on that alone. So we'll leave that uh, in terms of, like, the detail. But now you're talking about Ring of Honor in 2023. Like, I don't care. I just don't care. <laughs> like, I've, st- I've stopped watching Rampage. I just cannot 
be asked. You can't even say the Ring of Honor is like the NXT of AEW because it's not. I think people would because it's just people coming and going. I think people would watch if it. If they more. turned it into that, people would probably be more yeah. for it. But it doesn't fit into it doesn't fit into what the ethos of Ring of Honor is as we understand it because it's meant to be its own wrestling a serious sport, not just meant to be the minor the the triple A's for AEW because AEW isn't exactly like what Ring of Honor is branded as. It's definitely much more sports entertainment. Yeah. And that's not having a criticism at AEW for being that, because I don't necessarily, I don't really, for what I want from wrestling, it's not what Ring of Honor was offering really anymore uh, in the 2023 form. I want to have more fun. We're not living in the what's Ring of Honor going, uh, what's AEW going to be era. We're living in the, oh, this is what AEW is era. There isn't the surprise, there isn't the new. We have tropes now. We have stereotypes for how Ring of Honor's booked. We're not... We're not excited by like what we think Ring of Honor could be. Well, I think with AEW, we, I, I do think AEW is very much kind of in the place that a WWE Vince McMahon was, where it was like the highs will be higher than what the WWE can offer because it's much more specifically catered to us. Mm. You know, someone like an Eddie Kingston promo off against CM Punk. Oh. You know, that rings so much more true than them trying to do the facsimile of it with... CM Punk and Seth Rollins in the more neutered corporates. And, you know, because of that, people do what they're told a lot more than they did under AEW. And because of that, you get less of the whole Twitter. But, you know, the WWE backstage might be just as brittle and bitchy and everything as what AEW clearly is to a lot of people. We just don't hear about it from there because they run a tighter ship. Maybe what Tony Khan needs is 20 more years of seniority over most of the roster that he doesn't have yeah. right now. He's younger than CM Punk. He knows less about wrestling than CM Punk. He's got less of a proven track record of being pop-culturally successful, at least than what CM Punk has in his own mind about him. So that's why CM Punk thinks he can talk over him at a press conference and get away with it, because he nearly did and with- he did that, and then he got his own yeah. show. And with the greatest of respect, <laughs> you can't exactly go to CM Punk. Well, look, I drafted Trevor Lawrence. Look, I got Marco Silva and Paulinia signed to new deals. I don't care about that. Like, yes, you've got experience in other areas, but you're, you're like, I focus only on the wrestling. So it's not that he doesn't have experience of management, is what I'm saying. It's just that wrestling is its own thing so uniquely that, it doesn't count. But the basic problem is with AEW is it doesn't have the novelty of the new anymore. Yes. I don't think it's tarred as bad as some people think it is. And again, I think there's probably a fan base that watches AEW that enjoys it that doesn't tweet about everything online. It's like a sub, like the it's a subsection within a subsection. Most of AEW, like I saw All In, we were there. They got seventy thousand people or something like that into the stadium. Let's not go into the contention on that number. Let's leave that alone. Whatever it was, it was a huge number of people were there. We saw them. We were part of (laughs) it. And next year, they're doing it again. And they put on a good enough show, and they have a strong enough product, that they'll get a decent crowd. It'll be smaller than this year's crowd, but I don't know if it'll be as smaller as we think it was going to be. And they'll also change the setup of the stage, that it won't look that bad anyway. Yeah, so it's not got the novelty of the new in of itself, All In, because they announced there that they're coming back. And I remember one of the reasons I bought All In tickets for this is because... Like seeing a large scale wrestling show in Wembley book was a bucket list item for me as a British wrestling fan. So I'm like, I have to seize this opportunity. And now when they were like, oh, we're doing it again, I'm like, yay, but also, ah, right, okay. But it just shows that 
as long as he thinks he can get a decent crowd in at Wembley Stadium, that's probably the only time AEW is going to come to the UK. Mm. Because I feel like he'll worry that if he does an arena tour, then people won't go to the stadium tour. Because I, that's what I, I want to see the AEW in the NIA down the road from where I live. Not just because it's just down the road from where I live, so I don't have to get into a fucking Wembley. <laughs> oh, that, that walk from the tube station to the stadium is hell on earth <laughs> yeah i don't think tony khan because he no he was like oh i spent so my much of my life in london and you know obviously was thinking of moving the jacksonville jaguars there and his dad did try and buy wembley don't forget yeah i doubt he ever has gone to a fulham away game unless it was like wembley stadium or the emirates or something i don't think tony khan appreciates how much of a ball like it's gonna be for everyone who's not in London to keep going to Wembley Stadium every year for wrestling. Well, that's not Tony's fault. That's that's just where the iconic stadium is. That is Tony's fault because he's not booking shows in Leeds and Manchester and Glasgow and Birmingham, which he should be doing. I I wouldn't be against it. Don't get me wrong. But like what I'm saying is because Wembley's got that legacy, even though it is the new Wembley, not the old one, that's where you go. That is just where you go. (laughs) Yeah, but not every year. Hmm. Come year three, I think there'll be a lot of people that will have gone like, I don't need this in my life. Especially if AEW is not as good as it was in two years' time. AEW now is also at a point where, and we were saying it from the start, they started up with all these guys in their mid to late 30s. And they're dropping off like flies at the moment. They lost Cody. They've lost Punk. Danielson said he's going to retire effectively next year. There's question marks over Kenny Omega. We don't even know right now if Kenny Omega's even going to come back. Yeah. Because I was saying one of the reasons I would go to see All In next year is Kenny Omega versus Will Ospreay 3. I don't think we're getting that late August. I don't think you can recover from what Kenny obviously has right now. Mm. In time for him to do a match there that he think will be worthy of the standard that he sets himself. So they need to keep building up and i think the biggest plus for aw in 2023 was probably the signing of will osprey and i knew from the from forbidden door and seeing tony khan just glowing with him when he was at the press conference he wanted osprey bad and 2024 i think is going to be the year of osprey and i think it will hopefully probably be the year of swerve strickland as well and that's what needs to happen next year he needs to make at least two viable pay-per-view main event world champion level talents especially because you don't know if mjf is gonna go elsewhere in the bidding war of 2020 no no you don't and you just don't know where anyone's gonna be in a year's time you don't know that more of these guys like there is that understanding that maybe figures like andrade and malachi black and so on do sort of see this as just a stopping off point to go back to the place that knew what it was doing. Miro, maybe as well. Mm. And as I've said, WWE going back there is no longer the scary thought that it once was. I bet you, he, he says he's never going to go back again, but Dean Ambrose is not an impossible name to hear again one day. Or they might let him be John Moxley because it's no longer Vince that makes that call. So my point is that AEW needs to now be in the business of creating stars fast and stars that can get over. But the problem is, are they as making Hangman Page a main event talent? They've done that. Will Ospreay, I think they can do that. Swerve, I think they can do that. But it's like main event AEW, not you bringing in a previous WWE main event. Yes, yes. 
So you can put them in the main event. That doesn't mean that they're the draw that you want them to be. MJF apparently is a proven draw at times on TV. Yeah, I mean... It's hard to say. I never, Again, I don't analyse those. No, no, we try and but. not go into the weeds that much. But the, look, the, the tools are there. We're forgetting at the minute that Darby's off television because he's off climbing Everest, the mentalist. Sammy Guevara's uh, just coming out of a concussion protocol slash, you know, paternity leave. I think Sammy Guevara's mostly a lost cause at this point as far as a main event star mm. goes. I don't think he can reach that level. And the Jungle Boy, if he does come back, I don't know if he can. <laughs> well, yeah, this is it. I mean, at the time of recording, only one of the four pillars is on television. <laughs> they should have never called them the four pillars. That was a big mistake. Just as, like, it's not what all Japan is. And also, the Triple Crown is the dumbest name for a title. Like <sighs> for, other than the actual Triple Crown itself. And I do wonder, like, NJPW's like, the fuck it? It's what now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you what? But look, there's raw components there still. There's still Eddie Kingston there. There's still Daniel Garcia there. There's still people that can be true homegrown blue blood, like, backbone talents it's how they're presented if you're going to say who's been the character gimmick maybe even storyline of the year especially if they pay it off well christian cage in 2023 has maybe been the best overall character in wrestling he is a god among men right now the fact that he's got basically saying stuff that would get leon edwards throwing water bottles at you over is mad well I get the sense at least they know ahead of time that he's going to say it. <laughs> I suppose. I suppose. Like him and Adam Copeland building a storyline out of saying, go fuck yourself. Oh. For me, it's the transition of the old guard. If they get the old guard where they're not on television anymore, where Brian Danielson takes up maybe more of a backstage role, like Tony Khan seems to suggest that he will be. Uh, you've got Kenny Omega, like, look, whatever he's doing right now, like, just hope he gets well soon. But he did produce one of the best women's matches in AEW history, that being the Thunder Rosa, Brit Break, or Lights Out lights out match maybe once he's backstage maybe there's more experienced hands on the tiller that tony can delegate to maybe there's more of a cohesive structure storyline because not it's not one man doing everything maybe there's bits managed by danielson bits managed by omega but all feeding into tony i i hold out hope for that i don't know either way but i don't think it's likely to happen but i hold out hope for that the thing is we're not backstage so we don't know the ins and outs we don't know if tony khan's life was actually under threat at wembley stadium a mere few mm. hundred feet away from where we were at that point wondering why the show hadn't started yet yeah that's <laughs> a weird one that um again i said i've said it already sick of talking about cm punk sick of it maybe that's where we're gonna be in a you know in a couple of, i've said it his body might take one more injury, and if he gets that mania main event in his mind, even if it's day one, he can just fight to himself, and he gets another torn tricep, another broken foot, he might just go, you know what, let's leave it as it is. Mm. Give me a commentary role, give me a coaching role, I'll work within the system, or I'll just go off and print loads of money with t-shirts and autograph sessions at comic cons around the world for at least a few years. I don't think CM Punk's Whilst he says I'm here to make money, I don't think he needs much more money to be satisfied, no. personally. But, again, I don't know. I don't look at his finances, so I don't know one way or the other that way. <laughs> he either. doesn't share a bank account with his mum, that's for sure. No. I think people are exaggerating the worst aspects of AEW right now, even though 
I went on a big rant of my issues with the women's division. <laughs> I think that the future of pop culture and everything, again, based on what I saw at that Comic-Con convention, it used to be, I used to make jokes about walking in and the wave of BO that would hit me when I go to these things. <laughs> and that's less the case now. We were, like, hanging out with my, my mate and his uh, little son, getting him ready to enter this world of... <laughs> nerddom when he's finally conscious of what's going on around him and there was like three women doing a choreographed j-pop k-pop dance in their anime costumes and i assume putting it up online afterwards and it's like i think that the future i I do think pop culturally you look at like who's the like this year was the year that taylor swift basically became the biggest pop star of the 21st century other than beyonce like this whole eras tour and everything the fact that Tony Khan's kowtowing to her to keep her happy with the Wembley setup, even though that might conveniently help them make Wembley look more full than it actually will be for all in Her infiltration um, of NFL coverage, which is wild. This was the year that Taylor Swift will forever be seen as that echelon with like Michael Jackson, Madonna, Prince, Mariah Carey, Beyonce, like that tier mm. of pop star that no one else of her contemporaries not even like Billie eilish or katie perry are necessarily gonna forever be held up to that standard my my, my point was that i think the aw shooting itself in the foot by not trying to make their women's roster as good as possible oh, yeah that was my key point because i do think the future is increasingly female i think the wwe is going to reach a point especially at tiffany Str- and tiffany stratton's like this perfect blending of the wrestling ability of the women's revolution and the aesthetic qualities of the divas era she's like a diva able to wrestle like a like a horsewoman and i think they're just going to keep producing those women that can do that especially the gymnasts because god knows you don't make money out of gymnastics at least not from the actual sport themselves well, with the greatest respect to american gymnastics has took a battering recently in terms of reputation well that's the thing like simone biles is as great a sportsman, if not greater than Tiger Woods, Roger Federer, uh, any of those ones that you put down as like the greatest of all time in that discussion, I bet she doesn't make a fraction of what they make. Oh, no. And so that makes people within that discipline. If someone's got a viable career in the NFL, they're not going to go to the WWE. It's until that's the last mm. option. But I can see gymnasts thinking Olympics or pro wrestling, just like how Brock Lesnar probably had to make that decision. And he wanted to make money, and he did that by going to pro wrestling. That's why I think that's where they should be going. That's the frustrating thing. Like There were so many Bianca Belairs out there throughout the 80s and 90s and noughties, and they didn't get to become Bianca Belair, mm. because that's not what wrestling was looking for back then. And they can now. We live in a good age. At least in the WWE. And that and AEW should be doing it too, and they're not. Yeah. But, you know, that's because we're going, going down to the whims of one man that doesn't necessarily need to look at the market. But like I said, let's see where AEW is after this second TV deal is negotiated. Because also, because a year or so, I can't remember even if it was last year, I was saying how big a deal Fight Forever, the computer game, could be for them. And that was a busted flush almost automatically. Oh, God. I bought it and it very quickly lost its appeal. Mm. And look, I don't know if that's down to type of the get the type of gamer I've become and how good game single player games are these days. The standard's so much higher. They need to do better next time round if they are going to do it next time round. It's that simple in my eyes. But weren't you saying that they might just just keep updating Fight Forever rather than do like a new game every year like WWE? What are they still doing that? I don't know. I don't follow the gaming world. Well, this is the whole thing now, because a lot of sports games, the value isn't in the career mode anymore. Fighting games are the closest equivalent to sport games, like your UFCs and stuff and your wrestling games. 
it's all about the online stuff. It's all about like your ultimate teams, your Madden ultimate teams, like you're play, playing against your mates. And if you just update the roster, people would be happy with that business model. AEW's probably maybe mm. going in advance of where sports games will become if they are just updating the roster. Because I can, I can foresee it a point where the game itself becomes free it's all the money they make from people buying dlc or like packs that's crazy wasn't the dlc the stuff that used to be free yeah complete inversion you look at the money and i i I am basing this solely off of like the way that electronic arts operate and the less said about that the better but you look at the amount of money they make off of ultimate team compared to selling the core game Give the game away for free and then just bang, there you go. You've got people in through the door because people will think, oh, I've saved money by getting this game. I'll spend more on this lottery. Well, I don't know what I'll get. I could get a 90, like 99 rated like Tom Brady card or a you know Mo Salah with extra play styles or I could end up with a busted flush. But people will pull that slot machine. It is kind of twisted, really, how like that whole thing's become. Well, this conversation's been of no interest to me whatsoever for the last five years. <laughs> I, I actually felt you glaze over <laughs> during that point. But no, that's my point about like how like the gaming industry becomes. And even though they have this busted flush, it might be that they have to build a second fight forever. But then they have that second model. I don't know. I tell you what's interesting though is like I said now we know what AEW is it's five years old now like we there'll be people who will now be doing like let's look back nostalgically at 2019 AEW and make a comparison to where it is now I genuinely thought of maybe us doing that as a thing for our show but I couldn't bring myself to watch like two hours of 2019 AEW Dynamite because I couldn't bring myself to watch two hours of 2023 AEW Dynamite we didn't really say anything about Collision to be fair I don't mind it when I've watched it I kind of like the structure of it I'm interested by the idea of Tony Schiavone on commentary but I think that that is ultimately just a part of Tony Khan I think Tony Khan's kind of in the place where Vincent Mang used to be with his policy towards the um the uh product as about getting as many hours of viewing as possible for selling it to those TV marketplaces. Yeah. That's what Tony's doing right now for when he does the negotiation of TV that he can point to. We get cumulatively 2 million viewers every week when you factor in Rampage, Collision, Dynamite, whatever. And that collectively comes to over 100 million people watching it every year because 2 million people guaranteed every week for 52 weeks it means a lot more than it used to mean with tv ratings yes and so that is why i think he's in just amalgamation of numbers right now he's just looking at business of numbers rather than necessarily the quality of what's on those hours of tv maybe he can be a bit more relaxed when he gets that tv deal through and he can- uh, that's what i was about to ask you do you think it calms down once he's secure Maybe that's what happens after that. He still wants to make Ring of Honor a viable TV product, hence him bringing a new title in there. So Ring of Honor's not dying anytime soon. If that was going to be one of your uh, like your old NXT UK predictions that there'll be no Ring of Honor by 2025, <laughs> that's not going to be the case. No, no, I'm not going to beat that horse. But what's funny though, like I said, is now there'll be people who've probably said, well, AEW's not giving me what I want. And they're not going to go back to WWE because WWE is still... There is a WWE style. There is a WWE look. I guess what's ultimately changed without Vince is that the storylines make more sense, really. And there's a lot more factions. And no one's just being wasted at the whims of, you know, Vince's ADD. Which is obviously one of the problems with Tony Khan right now. Oh, absolutely. Because... 
you know, what have House of Black been doing lately? Or what have, well, to be fair, House of Black have been doing so. But what's Konoski Takeshita been doing lately? What's the Don Callis family been doing lately? My guess is... They don't explain absences. People just disappear. My guess is once Osprey starts in February, they put him against the Callis family because he leaves them. And that's Babyface Osprey against Sammy Guevara and Konosuke Takeshita and maybe one other... <laughs> Signing. So you like flips, do you? Have all the flips in the world! Because Sammy will flip the crap out in that match. <laughs> but they'll be great matches. I mean, Will Ospreay and AEW is going to be fascinating, and my guess is there will be a large crux of what next year's five-star project episodes are going to be about. But what's interesting now, though, is that people are moving on from AEW, perhaps, but where is there to go? And it used to be, you know, the the big alternative before AEW turned up was New Japan. And TNA was the other option that people had for WWE back in the day. But I never became a TNA fan, even during their peak periods, because it never identified itself unique enough in opposition to WWE for me to think it was worth watching. AEW was different, has been different enough to WWE that I have gone into AEW. Yeah, more. yeah, no, absolutely. And I am more. And- uh, like, AEW affects my weekly feeling about wrestling more than WWE does even though maybe WWE is even a better product right now overall it's just not where my emotions are affected right now but what is interesting is that there will be people looking for alternatives to AEW and WWE at this point mm-hmm. and it seems like next year and I keep saying it and correcting myself going back to Impact but I need to correct myself the other way very soon we're getting TNA back yeah baby like they threw what was it did they offer a seven figure deal to Will Ospreay they did uh, which he turned down so they've got seven figures out there to spend so they obviously think there's some sort of juicy media rights thing for them potentially so next year is clearly an ambitious year for TNA but it's impossible to say right now because as of time of recording we don't know who this big signing is that they say they've made there's plenty of candidates it could be Mercedes Monet if they feel like you know if, if her mate Trinity's convinced her yeah uh, aside from Mercedes, who's out there as a free agent right now? Well, Matt Riddle, I think they could argue, is a big signing. Maybe they got something for Kazuchika Okada. That would be the big statement, if they somehow were the ones that got Kazuchika Okada over here. And he does have a history with TNA, and they have a relationship with New Japan. So maybe he could be to TNA, what Will Ospreay's apparently going to be with AEW and New Japan going forward. I don't think it's Okada. It's obviously someone that they think is going to cause a stir. And to be fair, Matt Riddle was essentially a main event talent before he went off product and then became too much of a liability for them to want him. So you could you could build a viable third promotion with Matt Riddle as a top star. There's star in him, but uh, it's how you... I don't know. But they need to have that roster depth as well. The problem is, like, as great as it is to see Alex Shelley holding the world title, a promotion in 2023 being built around Eric Young, Frankie Kazarian, Alex Shelley, Chris Sabin, and, and a few other figures from that era is just never going to get anything beyond a very small niche audience. And they obviously want to go beyond that. I mean, you know, there's only so many hours you can commit to wrestling, but maybe just a a two-hour impact show and their regular pay-per-views probably would be more appealing than the idea of watching Dynamite, Collision, Rampage, or Raw, SmackDown, NXT. Okay, well, that's that's the thing. That's the thing, because you're proposing there two hours a week, right, for TNA, yeah? AEW is five, not counting Ring of Honor. WWE, five, not counting NXT. It's a lot of hours. 
But my point is that one of the reasons I loved NXT when it was the first black and gold was that it was one hour of TV and a two-hour pay-per-view every couple of months. Mm. And that was a perfectly digestible amount of wrestling for me to deal with. If TNA becomes one, two... I don't even know if Impact goes on for two hours, to be fair. Maybe it only goes on for one hour. But whatever it is, plus pay-per-views, that's a lot more digestible. And if it's a good product, I think that will appeal to a lot of people. They'd need various factors to go their way. But it's obvious that 2023 was a decent year for them. They put on good stuff without it being anything exceptional. They have a talented roster without it being overly big. But it was also so much of a TNA is just like the mid card of 2013 WWE. And they'll need to do something other than that to make it work in 2024. Yes. But there's enough talent out there. They're making the signings of people like Leon Slater is interesting. I think it's going to be a mixture of building up new guys and actually having the time and focus on them because of their smaller in number in in size of roster that you can't do a Tony Khan and just lose focus for a couple of months. Yeah, I mean, um, Ethan Page could go back, for example, because that's, from a personal standpoint, I really want to see Ethan Page like, have a great 2024. And to give you a little peek behind the curtain, that blow-off of that feud between uh, Ethan Page and Tony Nese, it led to the reformation of Men of the Year. Yes, I saw that. So that'd yeah. be quite cool. Like, again, and Yeah, but would it be cooler if it was in TNA? Where they've had the Motor City Machine Guns be a hot tag team and singles act. I mean, could be. At the end of the day, if there's a third viable option for wrestlers, that if the third option, sorry, I should rephrase that. If the third option for wrestlers in North America gets stronger, that is a good thing for the industry. Let's have it be a semi-prediction. I'll say my prediction for the biggest signing they've had in years, I'll say it's Dolph Ziggler, Nick Namath or whatever it is he's going to be called. I'd forgotten about him. That's what I th- He always seemed like a place that'd be right for him would be Impact. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He could be a linchpin for that. Yeah, but you can't have him. He's my pick. <laughs> I... Oof. I think it probably is, Riddle. I think it probably is. Makes sense. Anyway, uh, last thing, New Japan. It's impossible to say right now what they'll be in 2024 until we know where Okada's going. But 2023, it was like... There's so much potential there, but they just keep falling under themselves. Or or just what we want as an audience is maybe nothing that they ever thought about. Like, I don't think Sonata's ever going to be uh, over with an AEW crowd that you just put him up, up against Jungle Boy so that Jungle Boy can turn heel afterwards. That was weird. But it's not going to be, you know, Sonata's not going to be booked into Forbidden Door as the big star like Okada was or Osprey was. No that i mean will the experiment end and then you put it on a banged up naito and then what but we know it we can see it in front of us we've got these four guys mm. and the three that had a g1 they all lost out to hikaleo yeah <laughs> but we we can see it with suja it's like this really odd moment where it's like weirdly it almost feels like if a new japan did suddenly lose okada Maybe be the best thing for them, just like how because they lost Tenru and then almost only a year or two later Saruta, mm. that meant they had to make the four pillars some of the greatest wrestlers of all time. Maybe if Okada goes and Naito's banged up and Sonada's a bust, they've just got to say at some point next year, Suji, Narita, Umino, Uemura, let's see what you can do. Yeah. I mean, if you look at it in NFL franchise terms, they're in a transitional period. They've got a lot of like hot draft picks are a lot of hot rookies but we were saying that at the start of last year 
Rebuilding projects take more than 12 months sometimes. Yeah, but do you feel like anything enough has happened in those 12 months that gives you faith for the next 12 months? At moments I have it, but then the G1 is put the way it is, and you're like... I'll give you two answers. No. If If I wasn't doing this a show with you no because i do this show with you and because of the multitude of five-star matches we've covered so much to the so that we have actually reformatted our core structure of that arm of let me tell you something so that let me tell you something can breathe we've cut back the japanese not weed <laughs> that the five-star project had become to us but that was the japanese not weed to do with osprey more than it was anyone else yes osprey and to a lesser extent okada but because he was facing those guys, I have seen more of those guys than I would have if I wasn't doing this. Because I'll be honest, if I wasn't doing this with you, Lorcan, my New Japan interest would be minimal. And that's because it's not the hot thing. It's not like its own, for me personally, when I like adored NXT, it's not like the Black and Gold era. It's not the Okada Omega era. They're in transition. Could these guys do it? It's a lot of pressure to put on their shoulders, but the talent is there. It's whether or not they have the space to grow and phase out the old guard. Now, you've got Okada's contract issues. You've got Naito's knees somehow still working, but on very minimal levels. And you've got Tanahashi there. It's how you... I don't want to say clear them out because that's a disrespect, but it's how you phase them out and bring the new guys through. That's going to be pivotal to how new japan performs over the next five to ten years in my mind i think they also know they can't look as internationalist as they once did uh osprey's gone jay white's gone uh kenny omega went and they were the ones that were drawing in those numbers but i think that there seems to be more of a consolidation they form that new union of of nine different japanese promotions with new japan as like the the founding sort of gianni infantino of the group or something <laughs> But now, and they've also got now President Tanahashi, we found out the day of we're recording this. Yeah, baby. So maybe there could be some real changes. Maybe Gado's time in the crea- in charge of creative might be at an end. Or he might be forced to make decisions that he wouldn't have done so without Tanahashi having more of a say. Or maybe Tanahashi doesn't. We don't know. We don't know that there's a lot of, like I say, there's a lot of flux with New Japan. And there's other areas a lot of people are loving on uh, all Japan at the moment we covered that Aoyagi um, Nakajima match which obviously as much as anything we were uh, my observation was it looks like it's being booked in the venue that they would have had the contract signing for Misawa against Kawada triple crown matches back in the day so it's hard to gauge and because American wrestling is what it is Japan it's not as much of a focal point and WWE seems to be desperate to raid the entire stardom roster for what they can get <laughs> so, there's talk of julia going over and other other figures you know so who knows who knows it, it might be that japan is secret secret agent Kyrie saying has completed her task <laughs> i guess so but yeah and the bullet i mean the bullet club is a new entity right now under finley um I don't hate it. I like that they've reinvented what they are as like bitter dojo students who basically were stuck on New Japan strong and now they're really taking it out on them. Hey. But then, you know... <laughs> any any extra platform for Gabriel Kidd, I'll back. But Bullet Club is a dead horse now. It, it just It is. probably needs to be rebranded as something else. I mean, is House of Torture even part of Bullet Club anymore? No, they split know? off and I, I... Do you know what? I think it would be even worse if they were still with them, to be honest, because... The way that people bag on House of Torture matches. Yeesh. Well, 
that's been a, if you've thought this whole conversation was a house of torture we finally reached the end point of that uh one last question actually favorite match of 2023 any obvious ones or or a definitive one the tag match to close out main uh mainly in night one that's up there osprey omega of course which one or both or the forbidden door one i love i love the rest of- actually both were really good i couldn't really divide them but Oh god! Now you're asking. Both, both, both of them are up there. Swerve Hangman. I, I kept going to myself. Am I just recency biasing? But no, I'm not. I, I think that will stand the test of time. Uh, when I, when, when we inevitably do review it in our new format of reviewing five star matches, of course. Gunther, Sheamus, Drew at WrestleMania. That slapped. Um, that literally. Yes. Th- those are. Those are. Those. I would also put Osprey Omega. I think I prefer the Wrestle Kingdom match. I preferred Rhea Ripley and Charlotte's match to the two that you mentioned for WrestleMania. I thought that I loved, loved, loved the FTR against Jay White and Juice Robinson two out of three falls match. Oh my god, I forgot about that one. Kind of what I want wrestling to be almost is that match. Yeah. I loved the Osprey Umino match. That we covered very recently. Yeah, that was good as well, yeah. Those would be my obvious top candidates coming out this year. Ripley, Charlotte, FTR, Bullet Club Gold, Osprey Omega, particularly the first one. And yeah, and Osprey Umino is my favourite of all the many Osprey matches we had to cover last year. Because I, I don't think Osprey's going to have as many five-star matches next year because I don't think I, Tony Khan books them in that kind of way necessarily. I think basically every AEW pay-per-view there's got to be a good chance of it. So yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll stick my neck out. I'll say FTR, Jay White, Juice Robinson was probably my favourite match. The two out of three fours no, I respect was probably that. my favourite match of the year. I respect that. But those were all ones that I would probably go five stars for. But anyway... Let's go to what people always want. Do we go Mount Rushmore first or predictions for 2024? Let's do predictions uh, first. And then, because I I think Mount Rushmore is a more fitting end. Now, technically, technically, we're on level pegging at the moment. I could win, but it's very dependent on next week. So I'll stick my neck out as the person who could be going into this as defending champion. And I'll I'll go first because I think that's fair. So... I have written... I've got seven. And so three of these will serve as like backups. I'm going to go for the one... I, I look at it now and I'm less confident at it. Uh, but uh, I think WWE, as part of its growing international tour, I think they'll go to Africa. Africa? Yeah. Do you want to try and chicken out of this slightly and say they'll announce a show in Africa? Okay. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take that. Okay, they'll either hold an event or they'll... Announce the show in Africa to take place before June of 2025. Yes. Do you want to go there? Yes. Before, before July 2025. Okay. Okay, I'll allow that. You're. A, I think you're confident it's not going to happen by giving me the announce there, so we'll take that. Well, I want to give you no no wiggle room. We've got to make it clear because <laughs> you did get this one wrong. Okay. You did get the equivalent wrong for this year. Yes. So I don't want any bitching or whining from you. Ooh. Okay. I'm going to go for what I want to happen for the next one. Gunther to win a world title before the close of play 2024. And that means before the end of December 2024, to be precise. I mean, you brought up my uh, outlandish money in the bank calls earlier. I'd be remiss if I didn't do one uh, off the back of that. My... I accept it's a little bit of a dark horse hit, but I think that's how they're going to do the Bloodline storyline, is Solo Sokoa as Money in the Bank winner. 
I don't know why you keep going with money in the bank. I really don't, but... Nah, I'm going to have some fun with it. Why not? And my last one, you've sort of already alluded to it, is Julia to sign with WWE. Okay. Did you have any backups? I have three, but I'm going to hold off until you do yours. Okay. I'll give you my... Well, no, give me yours, because I'm going to start with my three backups. Okay. Because I've got them written down, so you can't claim I've stolen them if you want to claim... So, my backups were... I, I took a boring safe one, Tanahashi to announce his retirement tour, and then therefore go on it, with the culmination probably being Wrestle Kingdom... I can't remember the Wrestle Kingdom numbers, but the one that will basically take place in 2025. I think it might be 20, actually. So that would be an appropriate end. Yeah. AEW to record, record a lower financial loss. That's a bit of a boring one. That's why I didn't go for it. My outlandish one. I don't know why. I feel it in my gut. Okada to sign with the WWE. Okay. Uh, I don't know if that's that outlandish. See, I don't know. I go back and forth. I go back and forth on it. I'll just give my backups first. One of the backups was going to be uh, that either Will Ospreay or, or Swerve Strickland will win the AEW World title at the pay-per-view, but I've gone into something a bit more specific than that. So I might learn to come to regret that. Because ultimately injuries and everything you can't foresee. Well, yeah. Another backup was going to be Kaito Kiyomiya will sign with New Japan. Okay. I was going to put as an outlandish one, I suppose, because someone was going to bleed on WWE TV as a result of blading in 2024. Mm. But if they didn't bleed at War Games, I don't know if they ever will be again. This was the one I did have. I just removed it right now. Okay. Uh, but it was going to be in there. I was going to predict that CM Punk won't wrestle more than 10 televised matches in 2024. And for the record, that's TV and PLE inclusive, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As in, you can watch it at home. Okay. Not go to an arena to see him against Dominic Mysterio, which is a genius booking decision for a comeback match. Oh, yes. And then I upped that to a dozen, and I was thinking of 15, because I was thinking they would put him on Raws and Smackdowns. But I was thinking both that he might fall out with them, or that he might get injured, or that they're going to book him much more carefully like they do with Roman Reigns. But ultimately, there's too many TV shows that they could put him into six-man tags or whatever, and premium live events. So I thought, that probably isn't going to work. So the four proper predictions I'm making are that a decently big AEW star... We'll leave them to work for TNA. So that's not your Alan Angels. That's got to be someone like an Ethan Page or a, a Hardy Boys or someone like that. Who might not be happy with where they are right now in AEW, but they won't go to WWE. They'll go to TNA. Okay. So is that your first one to confirm? That's my first confirmed one. Will Ospreay. This is my bold one. I should have gone with Ospreay or Swerve to win the title at the pay-per-view, but I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say Will Ospreay will be in the AEW World title match at All In 2. Oh, I think that I think that's your banker. Yeah, I don't know because again injuries and everything, and they might want to if Omega can come back. Maybe that maybe he'll be like if he wins at All In, he'll get the title shot at All Out because that's the other thing that's really frustrating about All In. It will always be tied in with All Out, so we'll never get the full card that we should get. But that's I think I've ranted about that before. One of the Rewa Musketeers or whatever it is we're going to end up calling them, Suji Umino. Yuimura and Narita will win the IWGP Heavyweight or Global Championship. At least one of them will. Might be more. Just confirm what. Let's call them the Four Musketeers for now, just for labelling's sake. For now. So IWGP or Global. Yeah, they'll either win the Heavyweight or the Global title. The World title or the Global title, which is the same thing. But let's not get into New Japan. I mean, <laughs> we talk about title belts and names and everything. Flipping it. Anyway, and my sticking my neck out prediction. 
Slightly. Roman Reigns will still be champion after WrestleMania 40. Okay. If it's Cody, probably not. But I can see it instead them doing it. CM Punk, Roman Reigns... And Roman Reigns wins that. I can see that as plausible right now. But, you know, that's that's where I am. So, come 2024, December-ish time, we'll see how stupid both or either of us have been. <laughs> but let's go to the Mount Rushmore's. Let's get this all wrapped up now. Do you want me to go first this time, or do you want to go first? Uh, yeah, yeah, go on. I went first for predictions. Okay. So, my backup, and I might remove... So, if I end up removing one of these or whatever, to, for the sake of what we do... My backup was Impact Wrestling announcing itself to become TNA again. Fair. Because that was just a statement of intent. So 2024, TNA, we're going to pay attention to it a bit more. Might give up after two or three months because it's just more of the same. The four moments I've gone for are everyone obsessing about All In's attendance and Will Ospreay getting it tattooed on his arm. (laughs) Okay. I've got Kaito Kiyomiya kicking Okada in the head and all hell breaking loose. Oh, I'd forgotten about that. That's fair shout, fair shout. And Okada turning into Get Off My Lawn. Yep. I've got CM Punk returns at Survivor Series because fuck me. Mm. And the fact that then you got those montages of like the people who do the live watch-alongs and WWE was showing that on TV, which is crazy to me. Like, you know, Cultaholic and things like that have shown up on WWE TV and just a sign again of like what the new world of media and everything is. (laughs) We are old men. (laughs) And the final one, which is just, you know, the creation of TKO. And WWE being part of a larger multimedia conglomerate. WWE is now an entity that will be traded between large media companies. Because this isn't the last time WWE is going to be part of some merger, some sale, some movement of owner to owner. And someone other than Vince McMahon being the top dog of WWE, whether they're involved in the day-to-day product. Okay. So, those are they're all pretty bloody obvious. And I'm guessing you're going to have to remove at least one of your picks. No! So that we've got a definitive one. Oh, I forget this is you we're talking about. Last year, you put bloody the acclaimed winning the tag team titles as a more significant moment than Vince McMahon leaving the WWE. <laughs> yeah. Well, What should I have expected from you? It's more what I've done this time round is I've focused in-ring than out-of-ring because a few of your moments are out-of-ring and they are significant. I'm, I'm not going to, like, subtract. So I'm going to give you what mine are, but then we'll compromise. And I, I, I'll... I'll Spoil it for everyone. It's going to be mostly you-led because mine are, like I say, in-ring. I've tried to, like, focus it that way. So, I have the WrestleMania Tag Team title match. as like, a great payoff to that part of the storyline. I, I absolutely adored that match. I have Osprey Omega 2 at Forbidden Door. I have written down just Christian Cage, but Christian Cage getting over, like, um, the, the, the Christian Cage... Just, uh, just Christian Cage. Just Christian Cage. <laughs> there's, there's nothing else I can say, really. And my last one was just the event of All In, just from a personal standpoint and as well, like you know, for me, but also taking me out of the equation, wrestling back at Wembley, like what it meant to, to Britain as a whole. And it was just a magical day. I, 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 so we just put in All In then as a definitive moment of 2023. Yep. <laughs> Ahead of WWE merging with AEW, with UFC, and Vincent Mann ultimately not being involved. Can we have a co Christian Cage getting over about dead parents is more important than Vincent Mann losing literally what he took from his dad. This is where I said, I'm not dropping all in, but I'm happy to drop others. Well, we don't have to drop anything, because we've got the all in, I guess, as just a big old yeah. thing. It's just... 
This is Miz as the definitive intercontinental champion all over again. <laughs> but no, you are right. The whole TKO thing. But I'll give a caveat to that. We can't. It, and you did say this earlier. It's, it's bit, it was a bit diluted with Vince going last year. So yeah, fair enough. Because it's not fair as enough. much of a surprise. Okay. If it and were... it's also you've taken it more personally. Yeah, it's yeah. not been something to you. Yes. All right. Well, if people want to send some really personal messages to you, Simon, <laughs> how can they do so? They can do so on Twitter. I am so known as Simon Cross Free. Free for the number of my Mount Rushmore choices that Lorcan really questioned just then. My name's Lorcan Mullen. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A-N as in... Another fine mess you got me into. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, letterbox. If you put at gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show, lntyspod at gmail.com. For the next episodes, we've recorded them so far in advance, regardless of whether we get any five stars, enough to fill in a first episode of the five-star project of 2024. We don't know, but I don't care. We're getting them out now. So for the next two weeks, you're going to finally get our tribute recordings to... Terry Funk by doing Terry Funk but defending his NWA World's Heavyweight Championship against a barely out of training camp Jumbo Saruta in a two out of three falls match. And then after that, you will get us talking about the Bray Wyatt John Cena Firefly Funhouse match at WrestleMania 36. After that, I don't know what we're going to say at the end of the Firefly Funhouse match or what's coming out afterwards, but. <laughs> That's a 2024 problem! Yeah, let 2024 Lorcan and Simon deal with that. But until then, there's nothing left to say except that my name's 2023 Lorcan Mullen. My name's 2023 Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. And thank you for being with us this year. Uh, As you heard, we went slightly mad with all the Meltzer stuff. (laughs) But we got through there at the end. We made it, baby. And until then, have a great year. Until the next year. About the Zen master and the little boy. Oh, is this some from Nitsa, the Greek witch of Aqualippa, Pennsylvania? Yeah, as a matter of fact, it is. There's a little boy. On his 14th birthday, he gets a horse. And everybody in the village says, How wonderful, the boy got a horse. And the Zen master says, We'll see. Two years later, the boy falls off the horse, breaks his leg, and everybody in the village says, How terrible. And the Zen master says, We'll see. Then a war breaks out, and all the young men have to go off and fight, except the boy can't because his leg's all messed up. And everybody in the village says, how wonderful. And as Zen Master says, we'll see. So you get it. No. No, because I'm stupid.